Hey guys, uh, welcome to the fourth episode of the Journey Podcast inside of season or series one. Um, I just want to remind everybody that this is actually the audio version of a YouTube live formal podcast. So there is educational content in here. I prepared it and I went through notes and I presented all this information. So uh, it's not just a little hangout that's recorded with released uh, on audio only there. This is an educational episode. Um, the topics of this episode uh, are basically around the second half of what I wanted to get to in episode three, but decided that it would have made a five-hour podcast, so I decided to split it up. Um, essentially, all of the different topics that I'm covering in this episode have to do with taking the learned information, like taking the stuff that we talked about in episode three, which was the neurological approach to learning, optimizing practice with a, a very specific approach in terms of your conscious attention. Um, so it, take, it took all of that information and it's this episode is going over how to implement that into building a practice routine and plan so that you can take advantage of that in the best way possible and get it to where your practice is incredibly efficient and uh, basically shortcutting the path towards success. But the uh, basically the actual prepared topics in here um, are, are all focused around answering the following question. So questions, I should say. The first one, and they all fall under creating a perfect practice plan. The first one is how do I structure the perfect practice plan? It goes through and details everything out with that. The next uh, question that I cover in this episode is basically, what information do I use to build out a, a practice plan? Then I get into how we go about finding that information. And then I talk about what you should specifically focus on during a practice session and how to pick what to plan out uh, the focus of that is horrible English <laughs> basically how to determine what the focus should be for a planned practice session not just you know I want to practice this thing for the rest of the year but literally breaking it down into individual practice sessions how do you determine and pick what you want to focus on for that day and then I also go into all of the different types of shooting practice which is a really really interesting part of this podcast uh, basically give all the different names of styles of practices so just to give you a little teaser on it you know shooting practice isn't just going to go shoot I have multiple different types of practicing that you can do all revolved around a different complete structure uh, and focusing on different things and the learning physical movement is only basically two of these different practice uh, types and I believe there are 11 uh, different practice types that I talk about. And then after I talk about what each one is, what the name of them, and then uh, defining what they are, I then go into, at the end, 
uh, giving you an example of every single different type of practice. So literally, I give you a, a, a laid out practice plan for every single type of practice that you would want to do if you say you wanted to do every single one of these types of practices in order you can just follow what i talk about at the end uh and and you would be able to do it thing to note here i want to say that because this is a youtube live it is a little bit more informal you'll see there's times where i like stop to answer questions and we get off topic a little bit answering those questions but that's because it's a, a YouTube live with interactive engagement. And uh, just to be able to make it to where, if you're listening audio only, that you immediately get into the meat of this podcast, I actually cut the podcast in half at the point where I got into the detailed stuff and I put it in the beginning of this episode. So it's going to be kind of weird because in the middle of this episode, it'll sound like the whole episode is ending, but then it just goes all the way into the beginning of what this YouTube live episode was, um, which is actually taking user submitted practice plans that you guys sent in in emails or on my website. And I, I picked a couple of them and I went into them in detail because they're all examples of practice routines number one, that were really good, but also that had common mistakes and common experiences that we could all learn from. So it's valuable to get to that part of the podcast and listen through there. I will say that because this is a YouTube live episode, uh, you know, forced into audio only. Yes, it is a little weird to listen to it uh, audio only, but I would completely recommend to just not listen to this one on a podcast app or anything. I would definitely recommend listening to it or actually I should say watching it on YouTube because um, they you you would be you will be able to see the questions that get brought up live based off of the information that I'm talking about. I also in this episode use a lot of on-screen graphics so I pull up the notes that people sent me and I go through and I talk about it. I actually show on the screen uh, PDF files of different practice routines, um, and I do a bunch of other stuff. So it, it would be worth your time to, if you're going to take the time to listen to this, just take the time to watch it instead. It'll be You'll get more out of it. It's more valuable. And then that leads me to basically the fact that I'm going to plug the YouTube channel for a little bit right now, which is that if you aren't listening to this or watching it on YouTube, uh, take the time to go over and subscribe to the YouTube channel because we do uh, sometimes two live podcast episodes on there a week um, at, an, at a minimum one. So basically every time that I release a recorded episode, then I only have one YouTube live on a Wednesday night. But every other week, I have two YouTube live podcasts during that week on a Monday and a Wednesday. And it's a whole lot of fun. Um, and you'll probably be able to hear that if you're watching that, uh, if you're listening to this audio only. So without further ado, I'll just let this get into the second half of the uh, episode four for series one. And we will be good to go. Cool. Thank you, guys. Um, the Okay, so I think at this point, questions have kind of died down. Um, let's move on to the first topic that I want to get to, which is 
this. Okay, come on, do a little transfer here. New screen. Okay, so this is going to be the first topic, and it's getting to be a long podcast, so I guess I'm just going to keep going, but I do have a couple different topics I want to talk about. This is more of the prepared uh, stuff for this episode, um, and the I know I had like a title up there that said episode questions, but that does not mean that as I talk through this and explain this that I don't want you to answer, ask questions. So please feel free uh, to, to type a question out in the middle of me explaining something. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm loving all the positive energy here with my, with my uh, communication. Um, thank you guys. Uh, so anyways, we'll get into it. So the first thing that we're going to do is just basically how to structure a practice. I gave those first two examples in the beginning of this episode. Um, and I think those are really, really great examples of how to structure a practice. They have, uh, they have like external stimuli notes in terms of the uh, temperature, the weather, the time of day that they planned on going, how they feel, their nutrition, their sleep, all that kind of stuff. It gives them the background information. Um, not only does it take note on it, but it also uh, they also had plans to specifically make sure that those things are within certain parameters. So you want to set it up with that. Um, and they had a specific goal in the practice that they were going to try to learn or work on a, a very boiled down focus, um, not a huge overarching thing. It's very specific, very minimalistic. Basically, it's simplified down to the point where it's you can't reduce any complexity to the topic that they're focusing on. So, um, you know, one is specifically the feeling of the movement in the front hand in a certain style of mount on a certain type of target. That's and, and how that hand brings the gun into the mount to finish it. Fantastic. One specific motor control skill that they're working on for the practice and schedule the whole thing out on that. That's great. Um, the uh, so they have a specific goal of what they want to focus on. They have a specific thing that they have decided to assign their uh, their sensory perception to. So uh, that would be the very specific feeling in that hand as it goes through that movement, um, or it would be the the specific feeling in the rotation as they're making the move on those birds. Um, whatever it is, remember you want those three components to be included in your practice. You want your sensory perception. So what are you going to be pa consciously paying attention to? Like what are you specifically going to try to feel? One thing that you're going to feel. They have the physical movement, which is this is my goal for the practice to learn X, Y, Z. And then they... Uh, have that proprioceptive underlying the underlying theme of proprioceptive movement to uh, allow that to happen through feeling but not consciously driven on really anything other than the specific goal of their practice so that's like the setup 
On top of that, all of those practice plans not only had the goal, the sensory perception, uh, the underlying information, but they also had structure. They had, I'm going to go and shoot two rounds uh, or two sets of 25 on high house two on the skeet field uh, and take a break in between. Uh, or they had, I'm going to go shoot a certain amount of targets off of uh, from one position off of a hundred foot tower, crossing right to left, trying to break it at a specific point. That uh, and then, uh, yeah. So they have that structure built in to allow them to follow that plan. And in the process of following that plan, be continuously bouncing experienced feedback. Uh, and uh, using self-awareness off of what happens after they shot. So um, they also basically included a post-shot awareness or post-shot analysis. After every time they shoot the shot, they reference how they experienced it through the filter that they've already consciously picked through their sensory uh, perception. So they take the shot and then they think, how did it feel? How did my front hand feel? Did it feel like what my goal is, which is for it to feel like X, Y, Z? Yes or no? Okay, no, let me do it again and try to correct it. That type of thing. So that's the structure that we want. And um, basically what we uh, want to make sure is that we understand that it doesn't matter what the goal is and it doesn't matter what the whatever you're assigning that sensory perception to it just and it also doesn't matter what your structure is it just matters that you have those things and so putting together a good uh, you know practice and what what to specifically focus on for a good practice all relies on whatever you decide but making sure that you build structure around it because without that structure you won't have the physical self-awareness and it basically is wasted time because you're going to go shoot without any guidance of what to think about what to try to do what to try to relive through visualization or self-awareness or a post-shot analysis um, and so you're just going to be shooting so basically all of those practice plans are not just shooting um the uh Taking that into account, and I'm going to, that question of how do I structure a practice plan is going to be better answered as I progress through all this content. Um, but I do want to bring back something that I brought up in the most recently recorded episode on optimizing practice. So we want to structure our practice starting off with lower levels of dopamine. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, like th this is actually an interesting topic. Um, if you're somebody that smokes or, uh, like does, uh, uh, vapes or, uh, you know, choose tobacco or does, you know, whatever, anything like that, any type of drug that increases dopamine, not that I'm judging you for anything, but 
it actually, interestingly enough, would prove to be neurologically beneficial not to do that very much prior to your practice. Um, the only thing to combat that would be that nicotine by itself actually does help improve focus, but by itself. Um, so, uh, but you know, you want to make sure that you don't have a huge, you, that you don't have high levels of dopamine going into this structured practice. Um, you want to expect and plan for like high volumes of failures during the practice session because that in itself increases your neuroplasticity, which allows you to, to basically cue your awareness to that failure and make adjustments and changes based off of that information that you get. If you're going to practice and you, number one, you don't expect to either miss a lot or not be able to execute what you're trying to learn perfectly every time. Like if you think you're going to have a high level of success, when you don't, it will be frustrating and it will be hard to have the self-discipline not to abandon that plan and structure and then just try to give yourself a little bit of dopamine by breaking targets. And that's that's is a big backtrack in the work and effort that you put in to your practice. I also want to say that um, approaching practice this way is... Um, mostly beneficial for learning physical movement. So if you're trying to practice your routine, you don't need failure in your routine. Like Meaning like if you're trying to get better at, at uh, your pre-shot routine or if you're trying to get better at uh, um, reading targets, you don't, you don't need to set up a practice to get you to fail a bunch of times because the neurology of this is all built around making uh, increasing neuroplasticity to segment how your brain responds to dopamine so that it catalogs the good uh, signal firings to control the muscles and saves the sequences that resulted in a good result and deletes the sequences that resulted in a bad result. Um, and those sequences are just, you know, uh, electron, electric signals sent from the upper motor neurons to the lower motor neurons to control your muscles. So if uh, like practicing a routine has no muscular involvement in terms of motor control skills, so you don't need to worry about that. But this is if you're trying to get better at moving the shotgun or get better at moving your eyes. Um, the... Uh, so going back to the whole, uh, you know, expecting high, high levels of failure, uh, it's going to draw your attention to that specifically poorly executed movement. That's going to be good because that conscious, you know, cue or red flag that goes up like, whoa, this wasn't good. That is the specifically, that is the thing that helps your brain catalog the good or bad movements. Um, and uh, you, you, because you want to allow yourself to have high levels of like a big dopamine spike when you do the thing correctly. So in both of those practice plans that I brought up in the earlier part of this episode, note how they 
specifically even wrote down on the paper that they allowed themselves to feel good about what they did. Uh, in fact, I can't remember if it was the first or the second example that I showed, uh, showed, shown, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was the first or second example, but in one of them, it literally said, uh, I practice positive self-talk or whatever uh, to allow myself to experience the dopamine based off of what I did. That's actually important. Um, when you do the thing that you're wanting to do correctly, recognize that, don't move on, celebrate it, get excited, however you deal with that, but do it. Um, uh, the uh, Going back to a little bit of the stuff I just talked about, we may need to make sure that we have that consciously decided area of focus or awareness. That's, that's that sensory perception thing. To predetermine what you want to be focusing on in the middle of the shot, physically in your body. Um, the uh, and a side note on that, it, it it does not matter what specific thing you decide to pay attention on, as long as it's something involved in the specific motor control uh, of whatever physical movement that you're trying to learn. So. For example, um, if you're trying to learn a fee task mount and that's your goal for the practice is to get more efficient at your fee task mount, what types of physical movements are involved in the fee task mount? Well, um, the specific way that your hands move, the specific placement of the gun in relation to your body, the specific speed at which the front and back hand are probably different based off of the fact that the gun has to pivot uh, a little bit because there's a 25 centimeter draw length, whatever it is. Um, you can go on and on. It doesn't matter what thing you're consciously paying attention to as long as that thing is a motor control movement within the physical mechanic that you're trying to learn. And whenever you decide to pay attention on that thing or to that thing, don't change what you're paying attention to. Keep it consistent. Um, you want to have a lot of repeated repetitions in the within that same area of focus so that you catalog the subtle differences of each repetition through your perceived experience. So that example of the skeet field, uh, you know, two sets of 25 uh, back to back, um, you know, on the exact same thing. You, that's what you want. Everybody can shoot more or less in practice based off of how much money they can afford to spend on shells, how much time they have, everything like that. But you want to, you know, basically put it this way. If you're trying to relearn re or learn a physical movement of the gun, the more that you shoot in a certain amount of time, the better. And the more that you segment that whole practice session on uh, less and less different things, preferably one specific thing, the better. Um, immediately after your practice session and before any external stimuli happens that gets you cognitively thinking about anything, um, it's beneficial to close your eyes and process or visualize in as much sensory detail as possible everything that happened well. That's exactly what was done in uh, both of those examples that I read. 
Um, when you do that, I'm just reading uh, some notes I have here, your brain will replay and keep the motor sequence of movements that were associated with the high levels of dopamine and, and it will eliminate the motor sequence of movements that was associated with the low levels of dopamine. Um, this is why it's important to have low levels of dopamine at the start so that there's a greater difference in the levels of dopamine between the good and the bad uh, of the thing that you're trying to learn. After your practice, don't focus on anything that requires high levels of conscious attention for the rest of the day or at least until you can process your training session through that type of post-process visualization, sleep, or a nap. Um, make sure you get good sleep both before and after. And um, uh, the one thing that I would note is that the better that you are, the more proficient that you are in shooting, the uh, more that you will have the ability to change focus sets in your practice. So when you're first starting out and you're trying to learn a new thing, or if you feel like you're not that mechanically advanced yet in your physical movement, um, you should only be focusing on one thing per practice. But as you get better and more skilled in shooting, you can, uh, you can allow yourself to kind of explore around in your sensory perception uh, and goals uh, during your practice because basically the efficiency of the good and bad ratio of saved uh, motor sequence uh, movements will be a higher ratio of good than bad. Um, so you don't have that much to unlearn and most of your movement will be controlled by those central pattern generators, which means that it's non-conscious and proprioceptive already. Whereas if you're newer, not very much of your movement, literally not even your mount is uh, non-conscious and proprioceptive. So it's very important that you just singularly focus on one thing. Um, the, uh, okay. So, um, any questions on that? I'm going to read through some of these uh, and then I'll go on to the next topic. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Three plus hours is average. This is going to be actually, I, this might not be that much longer. Um, let's see. They're way more control than I do. When Bella starts complaining, we will have a true perception of time. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, when she gets up and's like, all right, Dad, time to go, then I know. Ron says, taking videos helps to see what you are trying to correct. Yeah, 100%. Definitely, if you can, record yourself practicing. And in, in between those little breaks that you take during that practice session, while continuing to focus on the same thing, you can watch those videos. It allows for a good... A little bit of time in between also you you know uh you don't want to melt your gun <laughs> uh okay i'm gonna move on to the next topic actually and we will move uh okay so current topic building out a practice plan um and as I'm answering this, talking about this a little bit, this is a shorter session. Section, I'll pay attention to the to the chat to see if anybody has any questions on what I just covered. Um, but so building out a practice plan, like how do you 
basically uh, under the YouTube video, this responds or relates to the question I said, uh, what information do I use to build out a practice plan? So um, you can kind of take this a couple ways, but basically you want to, it's a very open-ended question, but it's important to understand from what avenues of information or I don't really know how to say the sentence that I'm trying to think of. Basically, it's important to understand the different um, sources of information that we can use to get the information. There we go. I like that one. That one came to me quick. Um, so I'm just going to, I have four different things that I have here of where you can get information from. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each one. So the first one is going to be consult with your coach or instructor. Basically, what you're going to be doing is saying like, hey, what should I like? What data do you have on me that you think I need to focus on? Uh, essentially, a, a filter question for that would be, what is my lowest hanging fruit right now? What is the thing that I can put uh, with equal amount of effort into all the things that I can improve on, what would be the one thing I can focus on that gives me the biggest amount of improvement? That would be a great question for the person that you're, you're either getting instruction from or who is your coach. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I get that question a lot, uh, and it's a great thing to help have external verification that, you know, you can align. Basically, what I would recommend you do is before you ask that question, write down what you think their answer will be and then see if it aligns. That gives you some information about yourself as well. Um, next thing is, as Ron said, use videos of yourself shooting. So have a friend or squad mate record you in a tournament or record yourself in a practice. And here's the interesting aspect of this. Compare that against videos of professional shooters to highlight the differences in movement. So if you have a coach who happens to be a professional shooter um, or there's somebody that you're trying to learn to shoot like um, or if you don't have an answer to either, either of those two questions and you're like, well, I'm listening to this podcast. Might as well just do it the way you do it. Um, any one of us, you can just Google search our name or go on YouTube and search our name. And there are so many videos of, of those guys shooting. Um, and, and you can look at, you know, take a video of you and find a video of them and compare and contrast the differences in movement. Things that you're going to want to look for are things, uh, you know, that look at, look at how in control and relaxed that, that you look compared to them. Look at where your movement is coming from. Look at if there's any wasted movement. And look at the urgency in which it seems to be that you or them are making your movement with the bird. Compare and contrast those things and try to learn the differences. And that is a great way to filter how it should feel physically and emotionally to make good movement. And that's what you can attach that sensory perception to in your practice. Another great thing to do is journaling, whether that be writing things down, doing voice memos, anything like that. But the types of things that you're going to want to journal are literally like stream of consciousness experience. So, so you go to a tournament, journal how the tournament went, journal the decisions that you made, 
Journal how you felt emotionally. Journal what mechanical moves or target presentations that you felt like you didn't do very well. Um, and, uh, and then you can use that information to go back on and look at and say, okay, well, I, you know, I seem to see a trend on Shondells. Don't just stop that analysis right there and say, I need to go practice Shondells. Think about what it feels like for you to shoot that type of target and then think about, okay, what could possibly be going wrong? What could I possibly be doing wrong in my movement here? Let me see if I can go and practice that thing, not just that target. Um, you can combine all of these. So like you could take a video of you shooting a Shondell, find a video of somebody else that is really, really mechanically advanced shooting a Shondell, compare the two movements. A lot of people have videos out for instruction. You can reference that. Ask your coach or instructor what I sh what should I be doing mechanically and how should it feel to shoot that specific target and then go out and create a plan based off of that. And then um, the uh, the last thing is you can you need to use like collect data and information on how good you are at doing specific mechanics or in certain areas of the game um, and in which one of those categories that you need improvement and make that objective information. Don't just decide, I'm not this good at XYZ, so that's what I'm gonna go focus on. And uh, so you need to make it objective because a lot of us are always blind to our own strengths and weaknesses when it comes to a game, especially a game that if done correctly is done non-consciously, how do we know? So, um, uh, and that kind of gets into, you know, the, basically the next question, which is how can I get all of that information? Um, I'm going to just so that it helps people, um, uh, watching this later. Uh, I'm, I just changed the, uh, the topic title thing so anyways um basically the only topic that i just covered there in terms of um you know what information do i use to help build a plan the only one of those four that really needs to be answered um that you can really apply the question of how how can I get that information would be that last one, which is like, you know, your efficiency and specific categories of things. Um, and being able to do that objectively and not subjectively. Um, and because that, you know, like, how do I get the information from consulting with a coach? You call them, you know, how, but if it's me, you don't call them. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, the videos, that's simple journaling. It's simple. Um, you know, it, with the journaling, you kind of could, you kind of could, um, you know, apply that question to, but basically it would only be around like, how do I remember all the things and what do I include in my journal? My answer to that question would be if you're journaling in writing a journal or doing voice memos, uh, or just taking bullet point notes, literally include as much as you possibly can. Just like those examples I had earlier on in this episode include the time that you were shooting, 
the the station you started on the weather how much you slept what you ate when you ate what you did the day before the emotions you were experiencing how you felt like your eyes were working what your body felt like did you feel sore from working out did you feel really calm and relaxed did you feel jittery from too much caffeine whatever just literally include as much take take the approach of the more the better um, obviously with certain people's personalities you're going to um, you know have a different approach to that like that might seem overwhelmingly too much stuff to do to you and if it does that's fine but you can take the approach I do of just talking into my phone on the way home and translating that into a transcript with an app um, so uh, but if you know put as much effort into it uh, that aligns with what you want out of it put it that way um, but as far as that last thing of the if your efficiency and the different mechanics and stuff for me personally the easiest and best tool to use for that is that shoot analysis sheet because it just asks me very simple questions and then runs it all through uh, a bunch of formulas and objective reasoning and tells me what I'm not doing well. Um, and so I like to use that a lot to help me focus and decide what I want to use, what I want to schedule and build a practice around. Um, and, uh, you know, you can also use like your own self-awareness in practice or tournaments. So, if you in practice feel like you're unable to do something or you feel just an unknown weird thing while you're trying to do something, you know, highlight that and explore it a little bit. Um, but as far as um, that shoot analysis, shoot analysis sheet goes, I don't, I, I really am actually trying to make this as um generically focused as possible and I'm not trying to force you to if, if you're trying to do this only use the tools that I have um, but I don't really know anybody else that has something that can do that same type of thing for you um, so I can only recommend that shoot analysis sheet that I have it's that's one of the reasons why I make it free uh, it doesn't cost anything but your own time. Um, but if any of you listening right now or if you're listening later after this is published and you know of some other analysis tool that somebody else has that can objectively analyze the current state of your game, put it in the comments of the video, please, because that's a great thing, tool for people to know about. Um, but when I run... the uh, when I run that shoot analysis sheet on myself, I look for commonalities from analysis sheet to analysis sheet and things that are not improving. I also look at trends and themes between different categories to see if I can make assumptions and deduce uh, like what is influencing what. So like a, an example would be you can look at the categories and subcategories on that shoot analysis sheet and look at the summaries of them. And you might be able to find that, 
you know, there are three different categories that you're performing below par on. And if you critically analyze what those topics are, you may be able to find like some, uh, like, what is the word? Uh, <laughs> gosh dang. You may be able to find like some form of, uh, basically that they're interconnected in what the problem is and if you follow the trail of what is happening and where your scores are low in each question you might be able to find an underlying problem that doesn't get fully pulled out of in just running a shoot analysis sheet um, and that's really really valuable unfortunately i can't really tell you how to do that because every time you run a shoot analysis sheet, it's going to be different. So um, there's no formula for that, which is why I don't have that built into a formula that just tells you the answer to that. Um, for now, uh, the only way that I know how to communicate that to you individualistically is if you book a call with me, um, which again, sounds like I'm trying to get you to spend money with me, but I can, if you if you don't want to pay for that, if you book, you can just book a 15 minute call after you shoot a, do a shoot analysis sheet, and don't expect me to tell you the answers in 15 minutes. But I can say, hey, look, you know, I looked at your sheet. You have these categories that are all related, and your issue is X Y Z. I won't have time to go into you know the explanation of how to do that, and or how to fix it and build a plan around it like I could in a in an actual video call, but. You know, with 15 minutes of time, I can put you easily on the right track if you can't figure it out yourself. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I have on that. Um, I, what I'm going to do, though, is I just I was trying to um, I was trying to use a shoot analysis sheet on myself for a tournament, and I wanted to actually put use that as part of this episode on here and show you guys what I meant by everything that I just explained by by analyzing my own shoot analysis sheet and then building my own practice plan from it. Only problem is I haven't shot a tournament since October and uh, so I don't have a way to really do that yet. Um, the I could do that with somebody else's analysis sheet on here. I would like to just do that with mine because uh, the information, it's, it's the, here's the difference. If I do it for my own self, I will have all of the experienced information as opposed to if I do that for somebody else live on here, um, I wasn't there living that experience as them and I won't have all of the information that they have. That is information that I would pull out of them in a video call to help me narrow down what my suggestions would be and make assumptions for what the problems are. But um, I, I couldn't do that on a live video here with just chat. It would take too long. So uh, I wanted to do it with myself and uh, I'm basically what we can plan for in the future is that um, 
in about a week or two. I am going to be able to have a, a tournament round under my belt and I will do it then in its own separate live video or I might not even waste time on a live and just submit it. And, and so you guys will be able to see how I actually truly go through and break down the shoot analysis sheet and build a practice plan based off of that because it's really, really in-depth, detailed, and it's highly specifically focused and it helps a lot. Um, okay, so Austin has a question. He says, would you recommend doing a sheet every two weeks, monthly, after or after each practice? I recommend doing a shoot analysis sheet after after every tournament round. So like if you're at a tournament and you shoot super sporting in the morning, prelim in the afternoon and the main event in the or fee task whatever in the in the later afternoon i would be doing three shoot analysis sheets that day um but really you can do it as much as you want and you can even do it on practice too i know ron uh here ron schwartz has sent a couple um analysis sheets to me uh i was actually going to be you i was wanting to use some of them in this episode but again a weird formatting issue with the videos and stuff and i and it wouldn't load on my computer it all works on my desktop computer so i can do it there it's just this laptop is annoying um let's see i don't uh, what other okay there's no questions on that so um i guess we're gonna go into the next topic moving on Um, this is basically what should I specifically focus my practice session on? Uh, I guess I kind of got ahead of myself and basically answered that question in the last one, <laughs> but just to recap, you want to specifically focus on like, there's no perfect answer for that because every time is going to be different and it's all going to be related and relative to what you're currently experiencing as a competitive shooter or a non-competitive shooter. Um, it's all gonna be based off of what your goals are uh, and everything should align and be interconnected in that way. Um, so, you know, it's very easy to be able to say, if you did all of the goal assignment stuff from earlier on in the Journey podcast and you have laid out your goals for this year and you are doing shoot analysis sheets then it would be very easy to look at, you know, am I on track with my, with my stepping stone goals and my process goals? Am I following them? And am I making progress towards those end of the road product goals? Um, and if you are and you're lo and you're running uh, shoot analysis sheets and it and just very simply interpreting them by looking at what the what categories you have the biggest amount of improvement available to you in, um, then you would be able to say, okay, well, are, are the which of these categories is has the biggest influence on my inability to get towards this end goal? I want to focus on that and I read through in depth about all the data in that analysis sheet and then build a plan based off of that. So, you know, the, um, a lot of people think that practice, you know, and there's so many podcasts that, uh, you know, you get the question of, you know, how should I practice shooting? And 
the best answer for that is you should pr the best way for you to practice is to pay attention to you and every time you go out to practice pick one thing that's specifically hurting you the most in terms of being able to get to your goals and then build a practice creatively around that and that's what you focus on um but that's a very that's a short topic answer uh, but it's one you know that is important to answer um, because you know too many people just think practicing is about going out and shooting a course uh, okay so um, next topic and this is the second last topic so we're almost done thank you guys for hanging in with me but this is I think probably the uh, two really fun topics to finish up on um, so this one is basically, as the title says, the different types of practice. Um, the, uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to basically list out the different types of practice that we can have in shooting. Um, I guess explain them a little bit if they're, if they need to be clarified. So if they do need to be clarified, let me know in the chat. And then the last topic is going to basically be giving an example of each type of practice. Um, so uh, let me see how many types I have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten or ten or we have a lot of different types of practice. So first category that of practice, which and think of this as like overarching themes that you can pull a specific. Thing to focus on during a practice out of each one of these categories I'm about to say is something that has a lot of stuff inside of it but uh, all revolve around this main topic and that would be what your practice is focused on so uh, the first one the most obvious one of them all is your physical mechanics so going to out and going to go practice your physical ability to move the gun pretty simple um, I'm sure that a lot of you can think about ways to practice that, but that can be, you know, pushed through the filter of body mechanics, methods, um, efficiency and movement, anything like that. Uh, but just think of it, anything inside your body and how you're controlling it. The next type of practice is uh, not in any specific order, but uh, visual mechanics. So this is one that I think, let me look. I would say this is closer towards the end of the spectrum of the different types of practice that people seem to probably never even think about. But as in-depth as you can practice your technique, your physical movement, you you can spend an equal amount of time and you should on your ocular movement the mechanical approach of and planning of how you use your eyes completely determines your ability to move it, it your eyes are the driver of your body when it comes to this game and if you're using if you have poor visual mechanics you will have poor uh, physical mechanics. So um, you can basically hold it to be fact that as much as you practice your physical mechanics, you should practice 
using your eyes. Again, I'm going to talk about an example of these things in the next topic, so don't worry, I'm not skipping over it. Um, the next type of practice is routine-based practice. So that would be like isolating a specific routine that you use, whether it be a pre-shot routine, a post-shot routine, in-event routine, uh, anything like that, and, and building a practice around that, um, which is an, an interesting thing. A lot, that type of practice revolves, uh, involves a lot of testing and a lot of experimentation and a lot of note-taking. Um, but basically, it's, you're, you're trying to create a more efficient or more effective routine in any one of the routines that are important. Um, the next one is one that I would bet you most people never even think about at all. And I, because of that, I couldn't really think of a good name for it. Um, it's just something that I like to try to tell people to do in lessons and, and I practice myself and I think it's kind of uniquely fun, but I just call it problem solving practice. Um, and I'm going to let you guys sit on what you think that is until I get to it in the next topic, but problem solving practice. Uh, another type of practice is tournament simulation. So like you're basically rehearsing a tournament um, in every way possible or specifically isolating one thing in a tournament that you want to practice. Um, uh, next topic would be, oh, we got a question. Uh, Damon says, we could implement this in the youth clinic we, are, we have coming up. We have them fill out the practice sheet beforehand Oh, fill out the practice sheet beforehand and then do the shoot analysis sheet at the end. You could record parts of the clinic. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be a really good idea. Um, okay, so after tournament simulation, another type of practice that I think is important is uh, like confidence or trust building practice. That one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, you just basically are working on building your trust, but uh, building your trust or confidence. But there's a reason why I didn't, just pick one of those words because the two two of those words mean and are uh, pointing towards different things. Confidence would be in your ability. Trust would be in your mechanics. So you want to have a practice focused on building up your self-image, so to speak, uh, increasing how your belief in how good you are so that doubt doesn't set in in a tournament, but also increasing your belief that what you're choosing to do is the best thing to do. Two different things under the same category. Uh, Jason, yeah, what about fitness? Um, the I would consider that more part of uh, like a... Uh, the, the holistic plan in terms of your accomplishing your goals, not necessarily specific practice, like shooting practice. But I don't know if you were here in the beginning of the episode. I, that was the first comment that I saw from you. So it doesn't seem like you were, but I brought up all of the stuff that you guys did today. And then at the end of the episode, I'm going to link uh, both the episode that you released on fitness and the, um, uh, the video for uh, like fitness routines. But uh, yeah, basically what I said, long story short, was that, you know, that's an incredibly important variable in terms of being able to accomplish your goals and be able to execute better mechanics and have the energy to focus and to move and, 
and everything like that. So like your physical health and fitness should be an important part of your whole plan towards accomplishing your goals. Um, and uh, by that, I, I don't I don't necessarily mean like, you know, you have to get ripped and shredded and more, you know, but you need to be able to manage your energy levels. And that's the biggest thing you you it's very important to eat good and to have and manage your energy levels and and being active and doing things especially with like flexibility mobility balance uh proprioceptive movement and um and you know sleep and uh and health and that respect is incredibly important um, okay, so the uh, Brandon says, do I plan on going into gun fit in this series at all? It would seem these practice methods are pre predicated on that your gun is shooting where you are looking. The reason I ask is because you can be visually doing the correct things, but not shooting where you are looking. Therefore, this can affect the feedback you're getting from your practice. Yeah, I mean, gun fit is going to be really, really important. Um, I don't really plan probably on on uh, talking about like modifying your gun to fit you better in the podcast because there are so many videos on that uh, that I don't need to cover it because um, just because of the, the availability of content in that. But I will be talking about basically how body movement influences gun fit. Um, and so, yes. Um, okay, so I just talked about the confidence slash trust building practice. Um, the next one is my favorite type of practice. And anybody that has a very like abstract style of thinking, or you can categorize people's um, inner dialogue in two different ways. You could say somebody is a very linear thinker or somebody is a very non-linear thinker. Um, if you are a non-linear thinker where your ideas tend to bounce around a lot, you will probably enjoy practicing this way. But it, uh, it's just exploratory practice is what I call it. And um, I tend to do that a lot. And it is through that style of practice that I have learned a lot. I would attribute 50% of what I know, maybe more than that, I, I would attribute, I would attribute 100% of what I know about myself in certain situations and my strengths and weaknesses and, and all the information that helps me make the best decision in a tournament to this type of practice. And I would also attribute a lot of the mechanics that I use and and stumbled upon on accident that are incredibly valuable to this type of practice. Um, the next type is uh, like a, a practice designed to build proprioception, to heighten your proprioceptive feedback and connection with your gun and your body. Um, and uh, then we have closed loop pro uh, practice and pressure or repetition practice. So um, I'm losing my voice from talking so much and my mouth is incredibly dry and I'm basically out of water on this, but it has a lot of uh, salt and 
terms of electrolytes in it. So I need to get another drink, just like pure water. So uh, the next topic I'm going into is that's the end of just listing the different types of shooting practice. I'm now going to finish this episode off with giving you an example of each one. Um, and uh, so before I get into that, opening up for any questions that we have on any of the things that I just said, or if you have, if you feel like you have a style of practice that I didn't list and you're wanting to know why I didn't list it, or if it's involved, incorporated into one of my other categories. Yeah, Joe, you're correct about there is not very much good content when it comes to gun fit. Um, mm, Got to think about that. I may, I may do something. I, I don't know if I will make it as part of the podcast, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to create content about it uh, on my YouTube channel. So, because uh, that would be in, you know, you're right. Um, Austin, the last one was pressure and repetition practice. I'm going to list them off real quick again. Um, actually, I will, let's do this, make it easy for you guys. I'm going to copy this and put it in the chat. Oh man, it won't let me type this. It's too big. Mm, let's do this. Hmm. I'm at a loss for being able to Let's do this. Uh, there we go. Okay, give me a few seconds. And I am going to get this in. Hello. Okay, so as I go uh, grab some real water, I'm going to, um, yeah, the 200 character limit sucks. Um, okay, anyways, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, so I'll be right back.
All right. So last topic. Thank you guys for staying with me. Three hours and 20 minutes in. That might be a record. Maybe, I think. I don't know. Um, okay. So let's... I don't see any questions on that or comments, so we're going to go in to the examples of each type of practice. I'm just going to give... I'm going to try to give like one... Why am I looking over here? The camera's over here. I'm just going to give like one example of each practice to kind of make it quick. And also because I want to stick with the theme of you guys trying to get a little bit creative and abstract and diving deep and thinking critically about how to build different routines based off of specific information that's uh, identifiable to you and helps you based off of that information that you get. Um, running a shoot analysis or talking to your coach or watching videos, whatever, um, and pushing it through the filter of whatever topic of practice that you're trying to build. Um, the Okay, so uh, the first one was physical mechanics. So I have a, you know what, I'm going to pull it up. I don't normally like to do this because I send this out to students. I have a, uh, I have um, every single individual physical mechanic variable that's in, that is that happens in physical movement. I have at least one drill to practice and isolate that specific type of movement. Um, and uh, so I'm going to pull up one of them if I can find it on this laptop. Let's try here. Okay, cool. Let's go back to this thing. Okay, so this is what I call my 30, 45, 60 drill. And this is a drill that is put together to specifically focus on um, the mechanics of the different, basically differentiating the speed of your hands and your body. So, um, this is a drill that you can follow, um, and, you know, go through step by step in a practice routine and with a specific, um, conscious awareness that you've decided on and assigned your sensory perception to, you will learn a lot and build very good and efficient movement uh, over time. So basically, this is an example of the drill. Um, it, it gives you the type of targets that you need to set and what the purpose of each different one is. 
you would you would not necessarily want to uh, do all three different types of targets in one practice. Um, you can if you want to, if you're more efficient at shooting, but in the beginning, you may want to just pick one. And that the best one to pick is a pure crossing uh, target because it gives you more of a one-to-one -one ratio in terms of the speed because you're not, the bird isn't changing its relationship to you as quartering away or quartering in, which would, if it was quartering away, and maintaining the same speed, you would feel your movement slowing down and the opposite would happen if you if the bird was quartering in. But it gives you the different type of target sets uh, that you can vary uh, the presentations on, gives you a focus for what you uh, should be setting everything up in, and it tells you basically what to pay attention to. But then also, if you go down, it gives you a uh, it gives you a menu. So you follow this menu like with a scorecard and uh, these are the different types of birds. So you'd have a, a bird set at a 45 degree angle, a bird set at a 60 degree angle, and a bird set at a 30 degree angle. These are all angles of uh, like how high it is. Um, and you would go through that menu. You'd start off in the first round and shoot 15 targets of the 45 degree bird because that's going to give you a one-to-one -one ratio between your hand speed and your rotational speed based off of the way that I teach then 15 targets of the 60 then 15 targets of the 30 and then round two is 10 of each and then five of each then three of each then one of each and the purpose is the more that you progress through this drill the the uh, less of an ability that you have to settle in on a movement so it is cueing your awareness to it starts you off being able to um, uh, identify and and slowly correct um, the physical movement in your hands or rotation depending on what you're focusing on and uh, by giving you a higher volume of each specific one before you change to the next one because you know a 45 tar degree target is going to feel different than a 60 which is going to feel different than a 30 so it gives you 15 of each and then 10 of each and five of each and three of each then one of each and basically you sit at round five for as long as you want by the time you get to that you're only shooting one of each target so from shot to shot your awareness is cued to the differentiation between the movement in your body after you have allowed yourself to uh, kind of refine and correct the movement um, and uh, so the and then underneath for the two, 2d diagrams it kind of just gives you an example of what you should feel uh, in each one of those so that's an example of a physical uh, a practice focused on physical mechanics um, and it's a great one that's uh, one of my favorite ones um, the uh, uh, let's see the next one is visual mechanics so there are a lot of different things inside of visual mechanics where you can focus on practicing um, the uh, one that is really simple to explain is I just call it like the eye snap drill basically what you do is um, you specifically would be highlighting the ocular muscular movement of your eyes and you would want to be consciously aware and attentive to trying to control uh, 
the fact that as soon as you take the shot on one bird, that you snap your eyes to the second bird immediately and before your body and gun respond to that movement. So essentially you're, uh, you're forcing and controlling consciously your eyes to get to the second focal point before the gun even moves. Um, and, uh, and so that's going to be hard because you have to give up wanting to see the gun really well. I mean, you have to abandon the gun with your eyes to move to the second bird. And that's hard uh, because a lot of people can't move the gun to the correct place um, without watching where they put it. I'm not going to go into how you accomplish doing that um, because that get, you know, that gets... I'm telling you what the drills are, but if I go into explaining everything, then that's the same thing as a lesson. So um, the uh, I can tell you it's a very hard drill to do. It's quite possibly the hardest mechanic of anything in the game to be able to do, uh, but it's also probably the most important one. Um, put it this way, if you... The difference in your ability to shoot and how you feel while you're shooting in a tournament, if you do or do not do this with your eyes, is the biggest difference of perceived experience but of any variable. Um, it completely changes the game. It's the most important thing to be able to do visually and quite possibly physically because what that allows your body to be able to do physically is drastically important um but uh the you know i'm not going to go into explaining what what uh what you have to do and what you'd experience and talking through all that because a lot of people have paid money to learn that and it's not respectful to them uh for me to explain that on here but i can tell you that a great way to work on that would be to combine that with exploratory practice and and learn yourself um that would be not very easy to do early on in the game if you're newer to shooting but it would be uh more reasonable to attempt to try if you were uh more skilled at shooting just because of the continuous changing of focus sets of your consciousness it would be it would be challenging um Routine-based practice is the next thing. Uh, and Curtis, I see your question, and I am going to get to the closed-loop thing. But anyways, so routine-based practice. That's the rehearsal of your pre-shot routine or setup routine or an event routine, whatever it is. And basically, a great way to practice any type of routine-style routine, routine practice is to simulate an environment in which you would be running it. So like... Um, you don't necessarily want to, you you would be better off practicing your routine. Uh, let's say you're doing a pre-shot routine and you, want to and you want to practice your pre-shot routine. You'll be better practicing it if you actually just go through a course and follow a menu because you're getting the diversity of everything. You're not allowing yourself to settle in and learn a bunch of things and then not have to put as much emphasis on your pre-shot routine. Um, you know, you're either doing three or four pair of each one, maybe five pair of each pair. And, uh, and so you're, you're basically you're exercising your cognitive ability to run that routine and learning 
what parts you feel like you don't need in there because they're not helping and they feel like you're just running through a checklist and then what parts you notice are making a huge impact on your performance um, and basically a, a, a look at practicing your a routine style practice as not just getting better at your routine but potentially refining correcting deleting or adding things to your routine that you feel like are missing or not needed um, and uh, you know take into account understand all of this is based off of the information that you get that we talked about earlier on in this episode that has to do with you know like running a shoot analysis one of the one of the uh whole overarching categories in a shoot analysis is your pre-shot routine and ask you questions on it and uh so you know you could you could easily look into the data in that category to see what would be a good thing to build in your routine and what you might want to make a deduction on in terms of changing in it or adding to it or removing it, changing the order of things, whatever. Um, so that's a, an example of a routine-based practice. Um, the next category is the problem-solving practice. So this is a really weird approach to practice but it's actually very valuable and actually this this style of practice requires very little shooting because it's not really heavily focused on physical movement it's focused on your ability to analytically uh, assess and deduce based off of your ability and knowledge of the game what to do to apply to the targets that you're being presented to shoot um, so basically it involves a high volume of target reading and 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 creating a plan there's a huge emphasis on that you you're putting a massive emphasis on reading the birds and making a plan um, like and and because of that you're going to want a really high variability of target presentations um, because you the purpose is not to practice the presentations the purpose is to practice your ability to create a plan and practice your ability to read targets so this is one thing that I do with some students sometimes in lessons or um, that I, like I'll do myself in the beginning of the year let's say I go to a club and I uh, let's say they have a sporting clays course I'll take an iPad out and my plan is to go and shoot the course so I will uh, go to station one and I uh, throw the first bird and I read it and I throw the second bird and I read it and then I take the iPad out and I take a picture from eye level uh, of the view of the station from where I would be standing and then on the picture I draw the lines of the birds and I try to draw it as accurately as I possibly can after having just seen one view pair and uh, after that then with my drawing I throw the first bird again and I look at the accuracy of the line that I drew that I did it go over the correct background points did it have the same amount of space above the tree line that the actual target line is basically I'm just gauging my accuracy and my ability to know what the lines are after just seeing one thing I'm also gonna look at like my accuracy and where I read the apex to be or where I saw that it landed things like that 
Um, and I do the same thing for the second bird. And um, the uh, and then I make a correction to my drawing if I'm wrong. Um, and then after that, I p plan on shooting a report pair A, B, um, and you can add or change the menu style that you shoot. But uh, just pick two of bir birds. If there's three targets at every station or four targets at every station, that's fine. But just use a combination of whatever. Just pick a bird or two birds, create a report pair. Um, true pairs, I don't generally do too much of in this because, uh, I mean, I don't recommend people do too much of this because we have to get good at understanding what is a good and fair true pair. You don't just want to throw a true pair of two targets together and they might be, it might just be a dumb pair and it isn't going to help you learn anything. So if you feel like it is a good true pair and the timing of it is fair to you, then you can throw that too. But create a pair and build a plan in your head. Pick a hold point, pick a break point. Understand, you know, the way that I teach is I, there's all these variables that I have to find out. So I go through and find out all those variables in terms of my physical setup. I make a plan. I try to go through and think about what the plan should feel like. Um, if I executed it correctly and what it sh what how I should see everything happening if I execute it correctly and I don't mean lead I mean like how good of detail should I see in the bird how slow should it look when am I able to actually see the most amount of detail you know go through the list all the things that are important to put into a plan um, if you don't know those things run go to my website dredulovich.com shoot and and start to fill out a shoot analysis. And when you get to the planning part of the shoot analysis, all the things it asks you about are the things you wanna include in your plan. Um, and uh, the, the planning is a subcategory on a couple different pages. So that's what you'd wanna be looking at. Um, and so then I build a plan and then I shoot the pair one time only. And I assess if I was, if what I put together in my head was accurate to how I experienced it. And then I flip the pair if there's two targets there, or I pick a di or I create a different pair if there's multiple traps there. And then I do the same thing. I put together a plan, both in my mechanics and my eyes. So like where my eyes are gonna go, how they're gonna see everything. And then I shoot the pair one time, and I assess that off of what my plan was, and then I move on to the next station. I just repeat that through the whole thing. That's a, that is a good example of problem solving practice. Basically, it's all about your ability to problem solve, critically analyze things and research and come up with a plan. Um, okay, uh, the next category is tournament simulation. That one is very self-explanatory. Basically, you're going to uh, simulate being in a tournament. I would recommend doing this with a squad put together a squad of four to, to five other people and all of you guys having the intention of it being like a tournament put money on the line if you want bet lunch or dinner or beers afterwards whatever you want but simulate a practice and um i mean simulate a tournament and run everything about your tournament even beforehand you know make sure you sleep good do all the stuff that you would normally do for a match go to the go to the tournament or go to the club and follow the menu keep score have trappers call out the pairs um you know you may find some people that are going to take it very seriously and they're focused and quiet 
but that's not o- the only experience that you get in tournaments with squat random squatting sometimes you get people that want to talk and that are obnoxious and loud and whatever and so you know literally give yourself any type of experience that you can have in a tournament simulate it test it out with the purpose of picking anything within that experience that you're trying to either gain awareness on or improve or refine um the next one is the trust or confidence practice and that is uh you know if it's going to be the confidence practice a very simple way to do that is to go to a target or pair that you know that you have a high degree of efficiency or proficiency on and just grind out as many targets as you can with the purpose of basically hit hitting as many as possible running your full routine and fully consciously paying attention to the bird visually um the trust aspect of that, meaning that you're building your trust in your own mechanics, would be that um, you know you're going to be very heavily focused on the setup to make sure your mechanics are good, and as you shoot pairs or birds, that uh, you're going to do through the same filter as the competence building um, practice. Uh, you're just more heavily focused on your mechanics and paying attention to how your execution of those mechanics work really well. And if you want, you can explore around with different approaches that you think may be equally good, better, or just slightly less. Basically, you're, you're building your belief in that the approach that you want to take on that is the best one that you know how to do. I will add this statement to, to what I just said. Because when you get into a tournament, it becomes important to believe in what your plan is so you don't doubt it and then have it cost you as you shoot the targets. If you're going to compare yourself to, let's just use me as an example, I would feel pretty confident in saying that there's nobody uh, listening to this right now or probably that will watch this later on that would be able to put together a better plan for a target presentation than me, in, including their me- visual mechanics, physical mechanics, emotional awareness. I would bet that it would that nobody would be able to build a better plan than me for how to approach that specific presentation in a tournament. And so the reason why I say that is because you don't want to lose confidence in your ability for what you've decided to do because you think it may not be as good as is possible to do. Like your plan probably won't be as good or as detailed as my plan on the same pair. But as long as it is as good as you know how to do and you put in all the effort that you that you can and you included all the things that you know to include, that's how you grade the, the um, quality of your planning and your choice of mechanics because you can't make a decision based off of information or knowledge that you don't have so understand that as long as you feel like when you're about to call pull that it's the best plan that you know how to do then have a hundred percent confidence in it because you can't do something that you don't know how to do um okay exploratory practice this one is at the same time the most complex type of practice on this list and the most simple (laughs) because basically what this is and i would not really recommend somebody 
early on in the game doing this because you just won't have the depth of knowledge in terms of awareness of what you can move your conscious awareness to. Um, you won't know all the individual things that you can pay attention to that will influence the shot. And it will be more important at the, that stage of the game early on to be focusing on one thing to improve in your movement and ability to control the body and the gun. So this would be more applicable for people that are that are further along their stage of learning. But an exploratory style practice is essentially what it is called. You're exploring and experimenting, pushing yourself to your own limits in terms of mechanics, in terms of your eyes, in terms of your breakpoints, in terms of trying to shave off unneeded movement, make more movement, um, experiment with different states, like emotional states, physical levels of tension and mu muscular input of energy, um, uh, literally just anything and everything. Just go crazy and creative and explore. And, and as you explore, basically what you're doing is you have an idea that you want to test. You want to, you're trying to see how efficient you can do a specific mechanic. Shoot the shot, analyze it, see if there's room for improvement, try it again. Analyze it, see if there's room for improvement, try it again. And keep going down that road until you feel like you can't do it any better. And then from that, ask yourself, what can I do better here to make this shot happen in a different way or in a better way? And then uh, like refocus your attention to that and and then take a shot and experience that and refine it and then just basically what you're doing is you're repositioning what you're paying attention to and continuously trying to modify refine or make it better and uh or you could basically every time you miss a shot just ask yourself what felt wrong try to fix that and then ask yourself again, what felt wrong? Or ask yourself, what can I do better after every shot in all the categories? And after every shot that you take, focus on the answer to that question from the last shot. And you're going to find yourself bouncing off the walls in terms of what you're focusing on a lot. But you're going to be gaining a huge level of awareness. And over time as you do this, you will start to connect the dots in understanding what influences what. And that's all I'm going to leave it at. I'm going to leave that at for now because um, that gets can get incredibly complex. And that is quite possibly the most valuable style of practice. Um, and I don't want to give too much away of that. <laughs> uh, the uh, next one is like a proprioceptive uh, pr practice building proprioceptive connection. So um, a, an example of this style of practice would be essentially uh, you can do this at home. A great way to do it at home, one of my favorite drills is to put a laser light in your gun, pick a spot on your wall, and have the gun unmounted. Pick a spot on your wall and, uh, and look at it with your eyes and adjust your body not your hands but adjust your body without changing the relationship of your hands and upper body to where that laser light is pointing where you're looking 
and then just keep picking different spots and keep moving like that with your body and over time you will build proprioceptive man excuse me you will build a higher level of proprioceptive awareness and feedback with your gun and your hands when you have a tool in your hands like your gun and it it increases your connectedness with your movement uh, when you're not looking at the gun it's important that when you do that you you are only looking at that spot on the wall and you get that laser light to align with that spot on the wall you can also add different uh like stressors onto that so like you can do i like actually strangely enough i like to do that while standing on a bosu ball to heighten my awareness of my balance um, and make it harder for me to do that and there's so many other things you can do but that's just an example i said i was going to give one example um the uh next and second last style of uh, practice is closed loop practice i've talked about this a lot you're basically changing shooting from an open loop um skill or process to a closed loop process or skill and the way that you can do that is remove the external feedback and the way that you remove the external feedback is you remove your ability to have external feedback which is that you take the shells out of your gun so a closed loop practice would be going to the range literally not bringing ammo with you and and i literally mean that if you're going to really actually focus on a closed loop practice don't shoot that day make it a hundred percent about your movement um and uh and and just go and either focus on one individual thing or whatever you know you build the focus of your practice but do it through that filter of no ammo and it will hugely heighten your awareness to the way that your body moves and you'll gain very valuable information um and the last one is uh is pressure and repetition practice and that's pretty self-explanatory you're just you know whatever the goal and focus is of your practice you're building high levels of repetition into it to try to force yourself into repeatability of either the mechanics or the result um and uh and by that you build pressure on yourself or you can do things that also build pressure on yourself like uh you know betting with your friends keeping score um i like to do a thing called a go home round where i plan a practice with a specific focus but before i start that practice i you know uh have a different menu on a different target you could do it on skeet or you can pick a specific target and say like i have to shoot 50 in a row and not miss any uh and if i do miss one i have to go home and i don't get to practice whatever it is um you know just build something use something to create pressure and and force yourself to practice repeatability um so that is the whole list and i said at the end of this that i would link um the links to the dead pair podcast stuff and i'm going to right now so that's going to be in the comments first i'm going to uh put down the link to the episode and the second link that i'm going to be attaching is to the youtube video with the uh physical uh 
Oh, I kicked my camera again. Uh, the YouTube video with the uh, like the the fitness routine uh, and some of the stuff that you can do to help uh, improve your shooting. So I would recommend looking at those because they do um, they do heavily relate to this whole topic that we're on, which is just learning how to accomplish your goals and a step-by-step process month by month and learning every component involved in that. Um, and one of the components is fitness. So cool timing of that. And I appreciate uh, the dead pair guys, not only for what they do, uh, uh, not only for, for them participating in uh, my live podcast and for them having me on their podcast, but I appreciate all of the stuff that they put out and the, the effort and time that they put into uh, putting together helpful content and having fun guests on um, on their podcast. So if any of you guys are subscribed to me on YouTube or as a podcast and you have not heard of them, go follow those guys too and give them uh, support on any of the channels that you have. Uh, and uh, same for all of the shooting podcasts. I have, am now realizing how many there are. Uh, there's um, Sh- Shotgun Sports. There's Clay Lab. There's uh, there's like three or four different trap shooting podcasts. I don't know if there's any skeet shooting podcasts yet, but but there is a lot. So um, yeah. Um, Damon says, what about adding the shot cam with the laser light drill so you could watch what you did too? I think it would have to be in the hunt mode. Yeah, Damon, the um, the shot cam is fantastic. It's an incredible training drill. And I'm actually probably going to have a whole episode on uh, how you can use that in your practice uh, because I'm a huge believer in that product and a huge believer in, that, in those people. Um, they're fantastic people. And they make a product second to none. And there are a lot of other um, shotgun or gun barrel cameras on the market. Um, And I feel bad for all of the other ones, (laughs) put it that way, because the shot cam is amazing. It's amazing. An amazing tool has a fantastic app. And I mean, you want to talk about a company with amazing customer service and incredible attention to detail and a huge amount of care for their uh, for their customers. That company uh, it should, I mean, you could do a case study on them in college. Um, so huge fan, definitely gonna include them later on. In fact, actually, I've already been talking to them about a lot of that stuff and including a lot of shot cam stuff uh, and footage and the use of that product uh, in some videos that I'm in the, currently in the process of making so i guess we are basically four hours in and i am 50 percent away from not being able to talk uh (laughs) that's a lot so um i guess we will call it there it's very late for a lot of you guys so um i will we'll probably do is uh, any remaining questions that I didn't get to, or if you need clarification on anything, we will just um, plan on holding them for another episode or email them to me. Uh, and you can always email email them to me at 
podcast at dradulovic.com and I will do my best to answer them. I will also say that I know I am behind on a lot of your emails and responses uh, for this podcast and um, the uh, uh, tomorrow morning I am headed home and have a big block of time in my schedule to uh, catch up on everything. Basically, the way that I work is that because of my teaching and everything, you're gonna if you email me while I'm on the road teaching, it'll be hit or miss whether I can get back to you or not because of how long I'm teaching and then have video uh, lessons after I'm teaching and then podcasts after the video lessons until midnight and then start again in the morning. So I really literally have zero time by myself for a, a week or two straight to be able to answer emails. Um, and if I do it after midnight, then I can't teach good the next day because I'm tired. So uh, I, uh, it's basically, you know, I'll go through periods of when I can answer and when I can't, but I always try to get back to everybody. So um, I will get back to all you guys and then thank you all for being here. And um, holy cow, Matthew is still on here. I hope that you went to sleep. <laughs> 5 a.m. My God. Um, goodness. Well, get some sleep, man. And thank you. Thank you all for submitting everything. I wish that I could have a podcast where I could get on air everybody's submissions, but it literally would be impossible uh, with all of the stuff that I have. I actually had plans to include two more, uh, no, three more today. Um, but thankfully I didn't because we would be probably past the five hour mark. So, um, yeah, there's that. Uh, cool. Anyways, thank you guys a lot. Appreciate everything. Um, if you find the podcast helpful, just share it with a friend and that's all I ask. I'm trying to help as many people as I can and I enjoy hanging out with you. Thank you all for the participation and the interaction and the engagement and the submissions and uh it's a blast i really have a lot of fun so good night everybody and uh we will see you or you will hear me i haven't decided if the next one is going to be recorded or youtube live but basically around monday adios and i forgot how to end the stream but now i just found the button so <laughs> that was awkward <laughs> Okay, just a little reminder that uh, if you're listening to this episode, this was the end of the YouTube video, but because I cut it in half and swapped each end so that the informative stuff is in the beginning of the audio recording, this is now just starting the whole session, going into the submitted practice routines and uh, discussing what happened, answering questions, and laying out a lot of really valuable information. So uh, there, this is you don't. I would not recommend stop listening to this at this point. But I would recommend if you're not already watching this on YouTube that you at this point you definitely migrate over to um, watching this episode on YouTube because this is where I'm actually showing things on the screen that people have submitted and talking about it, and it's way more valuable. All right, guys, um, I'm going to give it like a few seconds or so to make sure that you guys can all hear me and everything is good.
Uh, so I'll wait for the chat to come through uh, to make sure that that's good to go. But I hope you're all doing uh, good today. This is going to be uh, a little bit of... Whoa. Uh. My phone's talking to me. It's going to be a, a little bit more of a, a detailed YouTube Live episode. I have some... Um, uh, some top, some like pretty specific topics I want to cover, and some user submission stuff. Or, or really, I should say, listener submission uh, stuff from the homework that uh, was submitted over the past week and a half. Um, and we're going to get into that first, but then go into uh, some of the topics. So um, let me just scroll through and check to see if there are any questions. Um, all right, let's see. Okay, cool. No uh, specific questions so far. All right, so um, can you guys all hear me yet? I don't really know. <laughs> And if I do, if you can, tell me if I need to adjust the gain on the mic or anything like that. Um, but we should be good to go once I hear from all of you, which hopefully is soon. How many of you are down in Florida right now for uh, all of the tournaments going on? I think right now is the RC Cup at uh, South Florida Gun Club or Shooting Club. If you are here for that, best of luck to you. Okay, cool. We are good on the on the um, sound. Awesome. Okay, so let me pull this up real quick. Um, I have had a. Uh, insane amount of um, emails, submissions on the forum, uh, submissions of the homework to my email, text messages, uh, video uh, messages uh, from practice sessions. So it looks like all of you have done uh, really, really well on uh, keeping up to date with all of your homework. So that's really cool. And I want to thank you guys for that because it is a lot of work um, real quick, um, what I want to do is just uh, reference something that came out today that's really, really cool and actually goes along really well uh, with the topics that we're going to be covering today in this episode. And that is the most recent Dead Pair podcast episode. Um, I'm going to, at the end of this video, put a link in the, uh, in the comments for any of you that want to uh, find it. There's two things that they released. Uh, one is an episode, like their actual episode, and the other one is a YouTube video um, that was put together by um, the guest that they had for this episode. So um, I have not... Uh, personally been able to go through and listen to that episode yet or watch the YouTube video but I did talk to uh, Jason uh, this morning and I got notes from him on all the topics that they cover and basically it's uh, it's really in line with my content for this week or really this month kind of 
uh, and it has a lot to do with basically the physical fitness, personal training aspect of what you can do to get in better shape and better health in order to improve your shooting. So for a lot of you, that is, uh, and I know this uh, as a fact, a lot of you um, have that type of thing in your goals um, for uh, this year as either a main goal or some type of stepping stone goal uh, that, that feeds into something that you're looking to accomplish by the end of the year. So um, definitely sometime by the end of the week or when you can, check out that video and that episode. Again, I will link it in the comments. But anyways, let's get into the, uh, the topic. So um, this episode is basically titled How to Create a Perfect P Practice Plan. And what I'd like to do first is um, read through some, some emails and notes that I've got sent from a few people. I have had so many people send things in. And I've been teaching all day every day down here, so I have not been able to add some of uh, the stuff that all of you have submitted into the notes and the you know plan for today. But what I did do is go through and pick, I think it's three different ones so far that were submitted. You know, so there's going to be a lot of you that are going to feel left out. I apologize for that on on this episode. Uh, I'll get to it. Um, hopefully this coming week uh, when I get home I'm driving back home from Florida tomorrow morning so uh, I'll get back to you either personally or in another episode uh, on YouTube but I picked three out that I think really will apply for a lot of you that have submitted stuff and a very specific one that I want to cover first that is going to I think be something that if all of you are doing the right thing in terms of following your goals, building out a plan, and incorporating the neurological information uh, based off of the science that we covered in the l most recent recorded episode, this is going to be an experience that a lot of you will have uh, in terms of what this uh, specific person uh, communicated to me. And so I definitely want to hit that first because I know it's going to be relevant to, to pretty much everybody here. And I want to talk about it, explain it, talk about uh, how to get through it, and why it's actually a good thing. So the first thing I'm going to do is uh, I'm just going to read the email that I got. This is a snippet from the email that I got. Um, this is from uh, Matthew Etherington from the UK. And uh, I'll just uh, quickly go down to the part of the email where we talked about this. So um, he had already sent uh, his practice plan and some, you know, a bunch of stuff like a laid out goal sheet, a bunch of everything. Um, and I'd communicated back and forth with him a little bit. And today, or maybe yesterday, it was supposed to be a tournament that he went to at EJ Churchill, which is going to be where the World Championship will be this summer. Um, and uh, so these are the notes that I got from him today. And also, thank you for sending that in and for letting me talk about it on this podcast. Anyways, so it goes, I literally just got back from the EJ Churchill registered 100 target tournament, whereby I have had an absolute shocker. This after having a very good practice session yesterday, I shot a 63 
20 targets under my current average with a card that looks like Swiss cheese with no real pattern to the misses, just wildly inconsistent across all 12 stands. So I'll go through your shoot analysis sheet to analyze it as best as I can, but it's hard for me to say where exactly my, uh, my mind is on a post-shot analysis as feeling smooth and in control with my body movements, but clearly had no connection with the target and where to pull the trigger. I've attached the card for your reference, but bloody hard reading from my side. <laughs> so not to laugh at the at the score, but at first off of the language, I love the way that you guys uh, uh, expressively uh, speak over there. Um, and I'm going to try, I don't think that, I, I tried to pull up the card so I could show you guys. Um, you know what? Actually, I'm going to see if I can try it one more time. We're going to see. Let's try this. Um, I want to just go, uh, if I can pull this up. The problem is it was in a different format that my computer uh, won't read. Um, and so I was having a pro problem opening up the picture. Let's see. Um, yeah, dang, I can't do it. Okay. Anyways, so he basically in his explanation, he's correct in saying that if you look at the tar, if you look at his scorecard, there's no real consistency to it. There's no real theme to it. There's just misses all over the place. Um, and so, uh, this is going to be something that a lot of you may possibly, uh, struggle with early on. Um, but it's avoidable and it's something that you probably will struggle with early on if you do one little mistake. And, uh, so I, I want to hit on it, but before I explain what happened, I want to go into the submitted stuff that he sent me based off of what his practice plan was and what his experiences were. So we're going to go into that. Um, and I'm going to pull it up here. I, I apologize that uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of screen sharing on this episode. And just unfortunately, I'm on a laptop as opposed to my three monitor desktop setup at home. So it's going to be kind of clunky and a little bit like weird as I do this uh, because I'm working all of it off of one screen. So just bear with me as I go through here. Um, but anyway, so let's pull up our... Uh, let's pull up Matthew's submitted information. Okay, so right here. Um, this is, there's a couple pages to this. And this is um, the, ba basically the, month-long schedule that he has um, and I do want to I do want to bring this up first uh, because if you guys have had a chance to listen to the first recorded episode that I released one of the things that I talked about being incredibly important is balance um, balance in your training plan and um, 
being able to make sure that um, you structure your pursuit of accomplishing your goals in a way that, um, in a way, sorry, I just got a text, in a way that um, allows you to, number one, not get burnt out or oversaturated with this, you know, massively uh, indulged version of the shooting where we're just hitting it so hard and, and being incredibly detailed in our planning and structure and schedule that it's all focused on shooting and just either emotionally or, uh, you know, literally goal-wise, we get burnt out and lose interest. And um, the uh, I thought that this plan here was actually pretty good with that um, because first off, just the little, uh, you know, I'm colorblind. I think these are pink boxes where it says family. I like that that's in there and he's giving himself time to be able to do that. Um, you know, if you go through, you're looking at four different uh, weeks of the month and uh, he's scheduling out per day. Um, and he's not really shooting every day, but if you look at the at-home practice stuff, he is doing things on a daily basis um, in order to maintain relevancy and saliency in the stuff that he's trying to learn. Um, later on in this episode, I'm going to get into the different types of practice that we can have, and uh, one of the most important things actually is practice that you can do at home. So I'll be able to actually bring up some different drills you can do and uh, practice routines that you can do at your house, in your office, in between Zoom calls if you work at home, um, or you know just real quick little things you can do. But that's what a lot of this is. That kind of stuff really, if you're doing it right, can help to build a proprioceptive relationship with the gun to allow you to pull that into both your practicing and your competing in a way that uh, is hugely beneficial. Um, the uh, if we scroll down here a little bit more, we see some of the uh, you know he's he's giving us what some of the drills are that he's going to be using for his home practice. So you know he's doing uh, gun mounts. Uh, you can I'm hoping that this is coming through on here, um, but he's got gun mounts uh, practicing to a fixed point. I would assume on a wall, uh, doing that for just a couple minutes. And he's separated out different segments of this. So he's got two to five minutes with his eyes closed just out of an out of cheek mount. Um, I would assume that would mean, you know, like uh, basically uh, this a static place in the shoulder with the head off of the gun. Um, two to five minutes of eye closed, uh, eyes closed in a low mount, so an actually dismounted gun. And then two to five minutes, eyes closed with a move mount, swing left and right. So basically create, getting some body rotation into the mount with his eyes closed. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing because essentially what you're doing is removing external stimuli so that you can more easily consciously focus on specific proprioceptive feedback that your body is getting throughout that, that actual physical motion. Um, I like that. I think that's really good. I like the differentiation of the three different things. Um, and I think that's really cool. Really easy thing to do. It takes 15 minutes maximum. Um, and you accomplish a lot. Uh, at, you know, consistency in your mount is hugely important. I'll also, like I said, later on in the episode, get into more uh, things that we can do with that. Um, 
But anyways, uh, the he's also detailed out some other stuff that he's doing, and we don't need to spend too much time on that. But I thought this was really really cool. So um, we get into let's see this. Um, it's basically a uh, like taking that monthly schedule, breaking it apart. I guess he's using this as a little bit of, you know, like to make sure that he's actually accomplishing these things um, and detailing out the competitions. I really think this is good with the amount of competitions that he has. Um, the, I w and what it, one, what it caused me to want to bring up is, uh, you know, what we can actually use tournaments for. Obviously, when we go to a tournament, um, you know, we want to try to shoot really well, but I talked about in the first episode that I released with the goal setting and everything, um, how you can actually use tournaments as a test for the things that you're working on. And if you, not everybody is going to have either the financial ability or the availability in their, in time, in terms of their schedule or, uh, just be in an area geographically that has tournaments this frequently, you know, four tournaments in a month, that's pretty uh, intense. Most of us in the at the heaviest, we basically get to like one or two. Um, but, uh, you know, in this month schedule, if he's got four tournaments, I would assume at least one of them is not a very big tournament, quite possibly all four are not that important. And so sometimes it's really, really useful to use those tournaments as as a test. The types of things that we would want to be testing in a tournament are not really mechanical uh, or we could call like physical technique stuff, but instead really p testing out um, uh, like in-event routines. So things like um, your, well, your in-event routine, which would be like uh, the process of, of different actions that you're doing as you progress through the round. So, you know, like, are how good are you at um, engaging or disengaging different conscious focus sets? Like, what's your, if, are you good at, you know, moving your attention? Are you practicing, you know, uh, being able to stay present? Um, are you, uh, you know, making sure that you're staying hydrated and, you know, uh, eating something? to maintain energy? Um, what are you doing in your research planning and rehearsal phase of each station? So like th that part of the routine would be, you know, like when you get to a station, what are you doing? Are you paying attention to the targets? Are you doing, uh, are you making a plan? Are you researching different options? And then after you determined your plan, have you, uh, you know, rehearsed it out and just kind of like to to transfer what your plan is consciously into more non-conscious response when you actually go into the cage to execute, that kind of stuff. It could also involve testing out your pre-shot routine and making adjustments and amendments to that to see how well it works um, for whatever goal or purpose that you want. Um, you know, one thing that's pretty popular uh, in terms of the, the communication and feedback that I get from my students is that they use smaller monthly tournaments to test out uh, different either orders of how they're running their pre-shot routine or um, uh, in testing like adding or 
deleting specific phases of their pre-shot routine to try to see if they can make that pre-shot routine feel more immersive and less like they're checking off a list just for the sake of doing things. Um, and you can even use you know tournaments as a test to see you know over a period of time is there a certain time of the day that you can that you are able to compete or focus better is there a certain type of thing that you need to do a few days prior to leading up to that tournament to make sure that you have better energy levels or whatever it is so we can use tournaments as both actual tournaments and also tests um uh, so very, very cool. And we got some more information here. Um, the, uh, he's even laid out, uh, like, uh, the, the outline for what he's going to be practicing in February. Um, and let's see if we have here. Okay. So, um, this actually, I don't want to go into that yet. Whoops. Um, and then here's actually a little scorecard that he, he, um, took of a practice session. So what I really liked about this was that, um, he labeled what the targets were. He had a specific plan coming into the practice, followed that plan, um, and then went through and scored it. And this kind of stuff, although sometimes it can be, um, Oh, maybe this is a tournament. Although sometimes it can it can be uh, kind of heavy-handed in terms of the work that you're putting in, and different types of personalities either do or do not like doing this type of stuff. Like for me, it's it's um, it's kind of like torture having to take all those types of notes um, because I just don't like doing it. But the value of it is is massive. Um, there's all different types of forms that you can, uh, take notes like this and plan things out. One thing that, it, that I've found that I really enjoy doing because I don't like to write stuff out, um, with ADHD, it's just like to, to feel like you can find the time to sit down and actually do that is really, really hard. And it feels just like a lot of work for some reason. I don't know why. So what I like to do is, uh, I take voice memos on my phone. Um, and I will basically at the end of a round, uh, like a tournament or at the end of a practice, um, on my way back to my house, I'll turn a voice memo on and just kind of start talking stream of consciousness and summarizing my experience, uh, making any mental notes that I need to. And then there are plenty of apps where you can upload a recording and it transfers that into a transcript like it, it changes it all to text and I like to do that because it seems very easy and I can kind of like double up on time so as I'm driving I can just talk as opposed to having to get home and take the time to write things out but I really like this I think this is fantastic um, and nope wrong person um, I had somewhere here I can't find it uh, Matt, if you are watching right now, did you send me what your plan was? I thought I, uh, what your practice plan was, like what the focus of it was, because I thought that I had that, now I don't know where it went. Um, not that it matters too much. 
Oh, I know where it is. Okay, let's go back to something else. I'm going to transition to the main camera. Okay, so um, here is, I'm going to read off what uh, he sent me in some, in some notes. So it says, uh, this is the, and this is a summary of the practice plan. I decided to start on a target that I'm very familiar with rather than work on a target that I'm struggling with. This is so I can get a feel for the technique of consciously paying attention to an isolated physical movement and being aware of the muscles involved rather than the target being my primary focus for the practice. I thought that was really cool. It was something that I did not uh, recommend in any episode. Um, and it was a unique way of basically uh, using the target style or just uh, his own personal confidence in that specific target to kind of remove and, and replace the value of what he's doing into the physical mechanics. Basically, what he's doing there is essentially accomplishing the same thing as what I've talked about, which is remove the shells from the gun, but still shoot the target. Uh, because, you know, basically he's shooting a target that he's not really going to miss, so he's not too worried about that, and allows him to more easily consciously uh, influence his sensory perception, which was that category that we talked about in the last recorded episode. So it says, I started on high four on a skeet field. My conscious physical focus for this practice is my right hand. Uh, FYI, left-handed shooter. So he's talking about he's going to be consciously focusing on his front hand uh, of, of it, in the mount. Um, and smoothly pulling my gun into a full mount from a just out of cheek ready position. I've been practicing this move at home. As you, if you guys remember in the little detailed laid out thing of what his at home practice was, it was hugely involved with that. It was the first topic of the two to five minute session. So I've been practicing this move at home with the conscious effort on the command pull to visualize positively moving with the flash and then fully mounting smoothly with the right hand, locking the mount in place and finish, finally finishing the move with the core rotation of the body. But the main focus is the right hand smoothly locking in the mount. I'm just going to say the front hand smoothly locking in the mount. Um, needless to say, the first shot was a miss, and the perception from my post-shot analysis was that I'd gotten completely out of sync with the movement of the target as I tried to focus intently on the feeling of my right hand in the mount. So... What he's saying is that because I was very consciously focused on my body, I, I really struggled to proprioceptively connect to the bird in a way that allowed me to be uh, in, in sync with my movement uh, or to create harmony with my movement and the target. Um, I continued and it didn't take more than a few shots to sink in with the target again with my peripheral vision. While continue while consciously feeling the physical movement of mounting smoothly with my front hand, it also, uh, oh, period. It also didn't take long for me to feel a flow sensation in the physical movement of what I was doing and to recognize when I had not achieved a smooth, full mount with the front hand. Um, I'm going to read that again because that was kind of important. Um, I continued, and it didn't take more than a few shots to sync with the target, again with my peripheral vision. 
while consciously feeling the physical movement of mounting smoothly with my front hand. It also did not take long for me to feel that flow sensation in the physical movement of what I was doing and to recognize when I hadn't achieved a smooth full mount with the front hand. Um, so very cool. Basically, he's saying that it did not take him a long time to be able to recognize when it was good versus bad. Bringing in that dopamine thing. Um, I did 30 shots, high four and 30 shots, low four to get a feel for it from both sides of the swing or rotation. I really enjoyed feeling the heightened sensation of feedback from my body while shooting, which is usually in the background when I'm fully fixated on the target or the method I'm applying to that particular presentation. So I'm, I'm going to paraphrase that. Uh, he's saying that it basically it, it, doing that allowed him to, to basically he very successfully influenced where and what his sensory perception was cued up on. Um, and because of the fact that he had consciously chosen and successfully executed, being able to be consciously aware of the thing that he was trying to learn while he was shooting, he noticed that uh, it was a little harder to be able to consciously connect his eyes to the bird, but he was getting so much more sensory feedback of the movement of his body that he normally is unable to achieve when he's just looking at the bird and tr and really cares about hitting. Very, very cool to experience that. Very, very important that he did. Um, uh, the fact that this the fact that this was a target that I knew very well meant that I broke a lot of targets even when distracted by my focus on the physical movement. It also felt like on a handful of shots which broke that they were the result of a proprioceptive movement by my subconscious which gave me quite a unique feeling post-shot. But the awareness and the feedback I was getting from this approach to practice gave me the confidence to try the same approach on a more challenging target. Very cool. Um, I am not 100% sure, but I'm interpreting that as uh, saying that uh, so he said, it also felt like on a handful of shots which broke that they were the result of a proprioceptive movement by my subconscious, which seems like basically what he's saying is that uh, there were a few shots that broke where maybe because of what my conscious focus was on, I didn't have really the best possible connection with the bird and proprioceptively, uh, like non-consciously, those CPG, central pattern generators, took over the control of my body and kind of adjusted non-consciously to put the gun in the correct place to be able to break the bird. That's really, really cool. Um, and actually a topic that I'm going to dive really heavily into. Um, not in this episode, because I actually want to do a whole recorded episode on it. Long story short, I got a email from somebody in Europe. I don't remember what country. Uh, and he said that, you know, the uh, listening to the most recent episode on that neurology uh, based approach to learning um, that and when I got into how the eyes worked and how uh, the proprioceptive relationship between the body and the visual information that we get from the eyes, 
how that works and how it needs to work to be how those two parts of your body and brain need to communicate to be able to do that successfully makes a lot of sense to him but he has been told by uh even somebody who has won a world championship that you need to be able to maintain awareness of the gun consciously during the shot in order to make a conscious correction if you put the gun in the wrong place and you wanted me to answer that question like why do, why are you saying something different than what this other person who has won a world championship said and and can can we like dive deep into that and that's a fascinating question um, and there, I, there, there is a, actually a lot of really cool uh, research behind that, not in shooting, but in some other stuff. And I actually have some amazing videos that I have taken uh, in lessons to demonstrate things to students, not of me, of them shooting, where we can see kind of the real answer to that question. So I'm going to go into that in another episode. But basically he's experiencing that here he's experiencing that you don't have to make a conscious correction uh if you're in the wrong place and if you're doing the correct thing that actually non-consciously slash proprioceptively you your brain can and will put the gun in the correct place to be able to break the bird awesome uh little detail to include there uh, so one of my focuses for improvement this year is on long high tower shots. I shot a registered uh, tournament at uh, a tournament uh, at a club uh, in England last Friday, and using the suggestions for improvement from your shoot analysis sheet, I shot my best score at that shoot. So saying that he ran a shoot analysis sheet, it told him what areas to focus on to improve, and he focused on those and had a really good round. Um, I performed a lot better by applying greater value to my awareness during the shoot. However, I became unstuck on, on stand 10, got stressed with a good overhead target on report to a long right to left 90 millimeter from a 60 foot tower, resulting in two out of 10. So I decided to work on a single target at another club uh, from their 100 foot tower. Uh, the stand was 80 yards from the tower and the target was 100 100 feet up in the air, right to left crossing. Standard black target curling away, uh, probably arriving at the break point 50 yards out. I shot 100 shells at this target and again focused on my right hand, well, focused on his front hand, because he's a left-handed shooter, um, focused on his front hand, smoothly locking into a full mount from an out-of-cheek mount. I have to say I missed a lot, but when I made a good move and the target broke, I could really tell what my body had done in the move with good sensory feedback. I could also remember the feeling of the movement with the target in the post-shot analysis. Ultimately, I probably missed as many as I hit, but when I hit them, the target seemed clear and slow and the breaks were really good. The result of this practice is I've achieved a new mental picture of these targets when they break and the feeling my body has when I'm making a good connected move. Um, su super cool uh, email. Um, I'm going to, if, as I'm reading this, if you guys have any questions about anything that I'm reading, or if I went over something too fast, feel free to say that in the chat. Um, the, uh, so then he ends it with, I've got a shoot analysis sheet to submit for that tournament last Friday, and I'm shooting a registered tournament, EJ Churchill's tomorrow. And he's referencing the one that he shot really bad at. 
I'll try again, as suggested in the shoot analysis sheet, to have greater awareness of my shooting through the competition and revert to focusing on the target and letting my body be, be proprioceptive to the movement. Um, okay, so first off, fantastic email, fantastic effort and uh, commitment to what you're doing. Great feedback. You're on an awesome track. I'm going to go back now and read that first thing that I started off with and answer that question. So it says, I literally just got back from the EJ Churchill shoot where I had an absolute shocker. This after having a very good practice session yesterday. I shot a 63, 20 targets under my current average with a card that looks like Swiss cheese with no real pattern to the misses, just wildly inconsistent across the 12 stands. Um, so I'll go through your shoot analysis sheet to analyze it as best as I can, but it's hard for me to say where exactly my mind is on a post-shot analysis as uh, I felt smooth and in control with my body movements, but clearly had no connection with the target or where to pull the trigger. Uh, but and then you attach the card. Okay, so here is what happens. As you can see, that was a fantastic effort to apply all of the stuff that we're talking about in um, uh, sorry, I was reading comments. Uh, as you can see that he put a fantastic effort into applying all of the things that we've talked about in the episodes that we've uh, referenced in the live videos and um, and even experienced his highest score ever in a tournament uh, while trying to do that, then took information from that tournament from his post shot analysis and uh, and his own notes in terms of what type of target that he struggled with and how he felt and that kind of stuff and then applied that to a new planned practice, went out and practiced it, doing, uh, setting it up in the way that we referenced in the last recorded episode where we have a conscious plan of where we're gonna divert our attention to, not focusing on the bird, being very physically self-aware, to allow for proprioceptive feedback, running post-shot analysis every time you shoot to try to relive that shot, understand what happened, and cue your awareness to what's happening, then went out to a second tournament and just bombed. Okay, the, uh, obviously I was not there to see, but I have done this enough with the, uh, all of the students that I have taken through this aspect of, of coaching to understand that this is a very, very common experience. And basically what happens is that um, this is kind of like a perfect example because the first tournament that he went to um, he shot the best score he's ever shot, but, oh boy, hold on, camera's going wild, but, uh, and then went through and did that type of practice again, um, and then went to another tournament and bombed, uh, and so basically what happens here is that, number one, we, from his notes, it looks like the practice session that he had uh, on the towers after his first tournament was actually a much better example of being able to be consciously aware to his physical body moving. He was basically able to, to very easily re 
devote, no, uh, reassign his his um, sensory perception to the physical movements of his body as he was taking the shots, and he was getting really good feedback in terms of what just happened in the shot that he just took. Um, it seemed like a little bit better than the first practice. Also, take into account that that first practice was a target that he was very comfortable with. Um, the mistake that was made, I would assume, whether it was on purpose or on accident, was that that second tournament that he went to probably had too much attention directed towards how his body felt. And uh, this goes into what I talked about in that second recorded episode of how the eyes work, where, uh, let me just take one step back and, and pull up again how he said that he could feel smooth physical connection to the bird or he, he could feel a smooth physical controlled movement but he was having a really hard time feeling a connection to the target and now let's go back to the information we talked about with the eyes in the last episode um, we have those two different styles of ocular movement the saccadic movement and the smooth pursuit movement and we already defined that in order to engage smooth pursuit movement, we need to have attention, our conscious attention, directed towards the target that we're shooting or whatever it is in our vision that we're trying to engage that attention to. And I'll do demonstrate that again right here. So um, you can see my eyes. And this would be an example of smooth pursuit ocular movement. I'm going to have to use my finger. So you can see what's happening is that my eyes are moving very cleanly, very smoothly, uh, and they're completely attached to that finger because I'm consciously deciding to pay attention to it and lock my, my ocular uh, movement onto it. The other style of vision is psychotic movement, and that looks like this. So you see snappy movement in the eyes. Without something in our vision, to, that we're consciously paying attention to, it's not neurologically possible to engage that smooth pursuit style of vision or ocular movement, I should say. And so what that means is that, um, let's say it this way, it can get confusing and thinking that we have to have something in our vision that's moving to engage smooth pursuit vision, but that's not the case. It can be that we are paying attention to something that is moving and that engages smooth pursuit vision because it it uses a different neurological pathway to control those muscles. Or we can be looking at something that's fixated or static and non-moving, but move our head or be moving in a car. Both of those are engaging in smooth pursuit vision. Um, and because that is defined as requiring conscious attention, if we also have some level of conscious attention on the way that our body feels while we're making that movement, regardless of the percentage of that, we're not able to uh, engage 100% smooth pursuit ocular movement because we aren't able to engage 100% of our conscious attention on seeing the target. So what happens, what's very easily, what can very easily happen is that we 
kind of mix up what we are supposed to pay attention to when. And in a tournament, unless we're using it as a test for something, we don't want to pay attention to the way that our body feels in the shot. And I'm going to define in the shot as between the moment that we call pull and pull the trigger both times if it's a pair. We don't want to be paying attention to how our body feels. We want to be paying 100% attention to seeing the target. And that's why a lot of coaches tell you to, you know, see the rings or whatever. It's just a conscious placebo to attach your attention to. If you're looking for something on the target, attention is attached to the target and that engages that style of vision. So essentially what's happening is that because even at 5 to 10% level of dedication to being consciously aware of how the body feels, which I know happened because of his what he explained, which I'll read it again. And it says, um, uh, it's hard for me to say exactly where my mind is on a post-shot analysis as I felt smooth and in control with my body movements, but clearly had no connection to the target and where to pull the trigger. So he's feeling the smoothness of his body, but has no connection to the target which basically is indicative of that at least some portion of his conscious attention is on the body. And so he's not able to engage 100% smooth pursuit vision. So as he's making a shot happen between calling, pull, and pulling the trigger, his eyes are engaged maybe in a blend of smooth pursuit and psychotic movement. And he's got little snappy movements of his eyes. And that's going to make the target look faster. It's going to give us less detail on the bird. And the brain cannot proprioceptively connect the movement of your body to the target if it isn't, uh, if it isn't connected to the target visually using smooth pursuit vision. So that's why it would feel really good, but also completely disconnected. Um, so essentially what we want to do, like I said, in tournaments that we're trying to score well on, don't care or pay attention to how your body feels during the shot. Only pay attention to the target. In practice, that's the time to be able to focus all of that attention to, to the body. But basically, you want to completely forget about it in a match. If you were to watch me shoot a tournament, uh, if you were to take a lesson from me on a Friday and then come and watch me shoot a round on a Saturday, you may possibly see that the physical movements that I'm making are not what I gave you a lesson on on Friday. That's not because I'm choosing to do something different. That's because currently in my state of my game, I, have, I probably still need to practice some of those physical mechanics, but I'm not going to be paying attention to them in the match. So what's going to end up being proprioceptively executed in my body are the things that are that are fully committed to basically the um, the uh, the neurological signals sent by those central pattern generators to my muscles um, that are fully committed to being non-conscious. And that's generally the things that are not good that we're trying to undo consciously in practice. So what we want to do is shoot in practice, consciously focused on the bird, uh, run a shoot analysis sheet or if we can take videos and watch or if you just happen to take a shot and you, you can tell what happened physically you know make notes of those things and then in practice that's when we become very consciously aware of our body to try to 
try to reprogram the neurological signals being sent by the brain non-consciously and proprioceptively so that when we go to a tournament again, the correct thing happens. Um, so do I'm going to uh, that's my answer to that question. Um, and I'm also going to say that that's going to happen to a lot of you. I've already gotten some feedback from some of you that it has happened. And I would say this, and I also would say that I'm sorry my dog's going wild in the background. But I would say this, if that happens to you in a tournament, don't be discouraged because, yeah, it is a bummer to shoot a low score, but you actually should be hugely encouraged and excited because what you were able to do is something that is very hard to do. You just did it in the wrong place and time. Um, so pull that new learned, you know, approach to physical awareness during shooting into your practice. Uh, but, you know, pat yourself on the back that you messed up in that way, so to speak. Um, but I'm going to leave it open to just if any of you have any questions on that or have a similar experience, let me know in the comments. I'm just going to go grab a drink of water real quick and come back in like 30 seconds. And I'll monitor the questions here. Okay, so uh, some of you who are unable to or don't have a YouTube account texted me. Um, and yeah, so it's looking like uh, a lot of you have experienced this. So it's, um, and, and have experienced it in exactly the same way. So that's basically take that as fact that it, that, that does happen if we do that. It's a normal thing. Um, so uh, don't freak out about it. You're on the right track. You just accidentally did the wrong thing at the right, at the wrong time, or the, did the right thing at the wrong time. Um, so uh, very cool. Um, oh, and Matt's here. So cool. Matt, we just finished talking about your whole uh, situation. Uh, if you want, I, I believe in the live streams, you can, you can uh, scroll back uh, if you do want to listen, but if it's 2 a.m., uh, <laughs> maybe you'll want to, maybe you'll want to do it, uh, tomorrow or something. But, uh, basically at, while you're awake right now, long story short, what we said was that, um, you just basically took the, your, the thing that you were trying to assign in your sensory perception. Uh, I can't talk. Uh, you, misaligned what you were consciously paying attention to even just subtly and it t detracted from your ability to engage in 100% smooth pursuit vision with the bird because there was some conscious attention on how the body felt during the shot uh, and that would make you feel your body so you'd be aware of your body and that's how you would know if it was smooth and in control but it would be it would make it very very hard for you to proprioceptively connect to the movement of the bird because the eyes aren't proprioceptively connected to the movement of the bird. Um, so uh, uh, long story short, no reason to worry. A lot of people experience that. <laughs> yeah, words are hard, Austin. Um, and uh, so a lot of people experience that and it's uh, basically a natural progression in this process of just learning how to do this. Um, I will say though that what that experience entails um, is actually very valuable to try to consciously decide to do in those testing tournaments. So you don't just have to focus on, um, 
you know, your routine style things in a tournament as a test. But you can go to a tournament and uh, decide like, hey, I'm, I'm going to consciously pay attention to my body, maybe 50% body, 50% visual attention to the bird, knowing that it's going to negatively influence my score. But I'm going to gain a little bit of knowledge and understanding like when I have a little bit of tournament pressure, does my body, does the, um, does the response of my body and my ability to control my body in certain ways get changed at all by those emotions? And the answer is yes, it does. But for every person, it's different. And it is sometimes valuable to understand that. Um, <laughs> correct words matter. Okay, so. Let's go to the second submission. Uh, this one is uh, by Brad Willis in Australia. Very cool. And uh, Brad also sent me a picture today of him uh, listening to the Dead Pair podcast on his, looked like back porch or something, and he had... Um, three kangaroos in his backyard so that's freaking cool <laughs> um <laughs> very cool but uh so let's go into that i'm gonna pull let me pull up his stuff that he sent me and we'll switch over to that Okay, so here is Brad's stuff. Where is it? Right here. Okay. Um, this is a... He has a question that he gets into after this that I'm, I'm not going to read until I get through going through some of his stuff. Uh, but I'll, re I'll show it and read it out to you guys. So... Basically, what he did here was out on paper, he laid out uh, the structure of his practice, he uh, put together, uh, you know, a goal, um, you know, kind of taking the whole approach to goal setting for the whole year and pulling it into practice sessions, um, gave himself a, a goal for the practice to improve his skeet doubles game. Uh, a little mini goal is learn to, to hit H2 with greater consistency, so that's high house on the number two station, I'm assuming which is considered to be the hardest target uh, for most people in skeet. Um, and then the specific uh, thing that he wanted to like highlight and focus on um, is needing to relearn or overwrite making a smooth move on the target. So he's going to attach that sensory perception to his physical movement in his body and trying to feel it uh, being experienced in a certain way. Very cool. So, um, here is a little bit of a layout of uh, kind of like prior to the practice, some of the stuff that he was experiencing. This is important to take notes on um, if you want to get everything out of it because, you know, like for example, what I did throughout my whole career and continue to do now is... Um, that that like stream of consciousness voice memo notes i do those 
during important moments when I notice that something could possibly be relevant for in the future, um, you know, keeping track of how he's saying here, like good night's sleep, weather conditions, hydration and electrolytes, eye drops, what time he's shooting, um, how much he's shooting. That kind of stuff is really helpful because you can actually pull that data into making helping yourself make decisions on when you schedule events during tournaments um no, noticing you know like i've found that there's a certain amount of hours and uh quality of sleep that i need to get to be able to focus and perform at my highest level which is uh actually a number that is a little bit counterintuitive um if i get like eight hours of sleep I actually have found that I have too much physical energy um, and easily can make a bad move on a bird because of the extra energy. And because of my ADHD, if I get that much sleep, like my brain kind of goes a little too fast and I can get a little over analytical in the round. Whereas about six hours of quality sleep for me um, is basically perfect where it leaves me feeling like I have the perfect amount of energy to control the gun in as little uh in with as much finesse and small slow detailed move as po moves as possible and it allows me to have a good clarity of thought um if you're if you're paying attention to this right now and you've listened to other uh live podcasts you could probably make the assumption based off what I just said that I got a lot of sleep last night because I'm having a hard time <laughs> presenting this information because my brain keeps going out of my mouth. Um, anyways, so uh, there's that information. One thing I like that he said is that he wanted, wants to wake up and not get too amped. I'm taking that as kind of trying to go along with what we talked about or what I talked about in the recorded episode in terms of uh, that perfect scenario to practice, which is not starting the day off with too much dopamine so that you have a greater delta of dopamine levels between when you do something good and what your baseline is. That's going to more easily allow the brain to kind of like pre-program uh, and, and save those good experiences uh, for later on to be learned faster. Um, the, uh, so here's page two. Um, how am I going uh, to go about this? So one 25 target round from high house to consciously focusing on creating a new feeling uh, by paying attention to and getting feedback uh, to the ro on his rotation and his body and his tension, regardless of if he breaks the target. So he's laying that out. Very, very important. Um, and then second round of 25 targets from high house to um, sticking to his plan, not uh, deviating regardless of results, and using some self-analysis and feedback to establish and adjust positively towards improving and grooving something with repetition. Uh, so a slightly modified um, focus set for the second round, but it's good that he's not trying to do those in-between shots. He's segmenting them to allow for... Uh, some basically to allow for a consistent 
uh, topic of focus, which I talked about in that last recorded episode. Very, very important that we don't keep changing things that we're paying attention to. We stick to one. Later on, you'll see in here that a after that first one, he's, he kind of takes a break and does some stuff and processes some things and makes some decisions and goes into that second round with a different outlook on some things. That's good because he's not only is it good to make the adjustments, but it's also good because what it allows for is a little bit of a segmentation of experience uh, of experienced motor control movement so that you can better um, basically uh, catalog what's happening uh, proprioceptively. So uh, here's the real deal of what happened. Pretty much self-awareness and preparedness aspect uh, was experienced as he planned. His first 25, he got to shoot um, at 11 o'clock a.m. It was really hot, 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and I'm guessing 80% humidity. Um, good light, no wind, really high fatigue conditions. This is really cool that he's adding this kind of stuff because it helps him. The, if you are writing notes like this and keeping them, it's so easy to go back to and pull valuable information from because you may find that certain things that you do or certain things that you're paying attention to uh, you know correspond to external environmental situations that you can't control and that'll help you better perform in those situations in the future um, for this round he had somebody push the button for him behind while he worked uh, his routine I didn't hit a thing until the 12th target so 50% through he had missed every single one um, but he stuck to his plan 100% of not focusing on the break and gaining feedback and feel. What I determined was it felt right and I was making the same move consistently every time. If it feels, and he has a little question here, if it feels right and looks right, why doesn't it break? So it's good that he's doing that. You know, I, what I like to see here is that halfway through his first attempt for this practice, he wasn't kind of abandoning it to try to hit the bird. He was maintaining that same focus set, that same, a category of sensory perception that he'd assigned conscious awareness to very very important uh, for the for what you're about to see on the next page um, says the observer commented you're doing the exact same move not changing even though he thought he was doing something consciously and he did the he then started to do that empty shell uh, routine and not firing for a couple of rounds and then went live again looked at some external phone footage for a couple of shots and his rotation and move looked good so this is another really good thing if you practice by yourself you can get a little tripod to put your phone on to record yourself and um and then after you record go back and look i do that all the time if i don't have a tripod i'll put the phone up like on the stand or something and um i like to shoot if I'm shooting singles, I shoot a full box straight, or if I'm shooting pairs, I shoot two boxes. So 25 uh, reps, basically, regardless of what I'm shooting. And I'll just take videos of 25 reps at a time. And then in the moment of time that I'm going back to take a break in between sessions of reps, I'm watching the video to see the consistency of what I'm doing and look at if there's anything that I didn't pick up, back, pick up on with proprioceptive feedback. Um, he says, uh, the moves again felt right to me, but the result of the move only hit a couple more in the next 13 targets. He did the empty shell uh, routine a couple more times in that last 13 shots. 
He also observed that the more he was being drawn towards the outcome, the tighter and more tense his body got in his rotation. His hands wanted to grip the forend tighter and with profuse sweating and internal irritation, like emotional annoyance, oh yeah, and annoyance of dripping sweat, steaming glasses, and general uncomfortableness uh, all came to the forefront. This is something that a lot of you will experience if you're doing it this way. It's very, very important that if you're taking this approach to practice, which is obviously a very valuable way to practice, um, that at the moment that those types of emotions start to come up, that you don't abandon your plan. It's going to be so easy to abandon the plan because the way to feel like you would get out of those experiencing those emotions would be to start hitting the bird. But all that means is that your conscious, if you start to feel that, it means that you're consciously assigning your attentiveness and attention to your proprioceptive feedback in whatever area you're focusing on, but your value is you're placed slightly on the spectrum of the result of the shot. And um, so just go back and reposition and redefine what you really care about as that information. And every time you take a shot, if you can play it back and re live what it felt like and you could answer the question what did that shot feel like then allow yourself to feel good about that because that doesn't happen if you're caring about the target um he at that point did some breathing exercises that don grant recommended from uh some hypnosis videos and he tried to slow his brain down he stopped it from racing and realized that it was going on and important to control uh, so th- that's basically what I was talking about there. Like the, uh, what's really important to note is that annoyance, uh, anxiety, um, you know, uh, loss of presence in thought, all of those things translate to physical tension, um, and physical tension translates to bad movement. So he recognized earlier that he was getting more tense in his hands and his body, which is not going to allow him to make good moves. But it's good that he's recognizing that because um, it's cueing his awareness to that. And over time, he will learn very easily, let's say like in a match, something that could cue up in his, uh, like using, pre- I, in my shoot analysis sheet, I call it presence of self. But in that presence of self or that physical self-awareness or emotional self-awareness, uh, two independent categories, he may start to notice that he's getting frustrated for whatever reason. And because of this individual experience, he might say, hey, when I get frustrated or annoyed or when I start to lose presence in my thought, that causes physical tension. I may not be able to feel it right now because I'm trying to pay attention visually to the bird, but I know that that is there because of my prior experience in practicing. So let me just try to decrease physical tension. And in the process of decreasing physical tension, I can actually help myself relieve my emotional uh, stress. Um, so at that point, he took a 15 minute break, he rehydrated and did some more self analysis off the field in a more hospitable, uh, shady spot. So that's good. <laughs> um, wonder if there's any kangaroos. Uh, and let's see. Um, uh, in sitting that 15 minute uh, session, he decided that he has to keep moving on, um, or decided that I have a, a move going on that appears okay externally and feels smooth internally, but the picture isn't matching the move. 
There's some kind of timing action between my move and visual input. Okay, I wish I could not show the bottom half of that. I am, when you watch this, if you're watching, unless you're watching it right now, that is such a high level of self-awareness and very good observation. And I'm before I move forward, I'm going to explain. No, actually, it kind of answers your question, so I'm not going to explain that the uh, yet. Um, but really, really important point. Very cool that 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 experience became uh, a like he was aware of that happening and he made the subtle differentiation. He was aware of the subtle differentiation between the fact that physically everything was feeling good and he may even have been seeing it okay, but that there was a timing action. That timing is the key word here and it's very cool that he noticed that and we'll explain that in the answer to what his question was after all of this. So then he goes into the second 25 still same position high house station two he went back back out to the layout this time alone with a voice release still objective uh the, i basically saying the objective is still that regardless i was sticking to my plan i was there to focus on my feel and smoothness not be swayed by outcome uh he decided to move his whole point in closer towards the towards the trap the shoot that must be an Australian thing uh, than his normal setup to where his peripheral was just picking up uh, the trap but in relayed focus my eyes were off the gun and up in the flight path um, the uh, I can't there's a word there I don't know what that a little confused by that um, to where my peripheral was just picking up the end of the shoot, but in relaxed focus. My eyes were off the gun and up in the air. Okay, I'm going to guess there's a period after relaxed focus that's not on the thing. Um, so he's saying that he moved his hold point in and, to a, a, and moved his focal point in to where peripherally he was able to see the trap coming. Uh, the target moving in his outside center ocular peripheral vision um, and had the gun on the line of the target. He consciously went through a pre-shot routine with a break point, hold point, setting his eyes as described above. Uh, the picture was slightly different to what was normal for me and definitely not running on automatic, slow and deliberate actions. He relaxed his eyes, made sure his eyes uh, made sure my eyes had the gun and called pull. The move felt absolutely perfect and effortless. Let the shot go and the target dust as a result. Um, okay, didn't get excited, but slow and deliberate, repeated exact same conscious setup, got exact same feeling, feedback, and result. Um, the uh, So basically what's happening here is just in that 25 shot first round, he was able to get enough feedback on that to make adjustments for what to change. And what we're seeing here actually is a little bit of a blend between conscious attention on the body and conscious attention on the target. Uh, but, but it actually looks like a vast majority of it on the target 
but because of the cued awareness of the body from the prior experience, he's kind of able to run a post-shot analysis and feel what's happening. Uh, he repeated this and ran the next six in a row before a miss occurred. He could feel in his move from paying attention to the feedback that two misses occurred in a row. Uh, his hands felt He felt his hands gripping the forend too tight and his rotation was tighter than the previous six, going back to uh, how he brought that up in the first part. Um, <laughs> Nate, it's easy to miss 25 rabbits in a row. Um, he did two cycles with empty shell and after those did some of those breathing exercises and again everything was spot on just getting control of things again proceeded to do exactly the same as described above and ran another eight using conscious process uh, of the body and deliberate but importantly the feel was smooth and effortless it just happened and was repeatable uh, had another miss and again could feel it was tension related and the move felt stiff and robotic didn't flow could just tell um, stepped off the pad and did the breathing stuff again for approximately three minutes and then back to the task. Um, the, oh, let's do this one. Uh, actually, no, let's go back. Okay. So one thing, one thing I want to bring up is this breathing exercise, these breathing exercises that he's bringing up. Um, and that's actually incredibly important to allow your eyes to work correctly. So an increase in oxygen to the bloodstream through breathing and breathing exercises actually will uh, kind of, this is very unscientific explanation, but it mixes with some other neurotransmitters that are released in the brain like uh, dopamine, adrenaline, um, and some other stuff. And if you keep your oxygen levels up, it actually allows your eyes to send data to your brain at a higher frame rate, so to speak, which allows the target to look slower to you consciously. Um, so he's kind of like preloading oxygen by doing these techniques and it's helping his eyes work better. He's also putting a huge emphasis on uh, his routine in this round uh, as opposed to the first one putting much more of an emphasis on his eyes, allowing the eyes to settle, paying conscious attention to what's outside center ocular, which is the target coming out of the chute um, on the left. So there's a little bit more conscious attention to his vision here, which is allowing all this stuff to happen, but he is still consciously aware of his body. Um, he was able to run the next 10 straight with no miss, but was focused on just doing the same setup and feeling that it was completely effortless every shot, no matter what. Also noticed in the last 10 targets that things started to run on autopilot with the setup time shortening, but feeling uh, and feedback was the same. In the last 10 targets, he started rewarding himself with a bit of positive self-talk and uh, guess letting the dopamine flow. <laughs> Very good. After completing the last shot, I ran through things with a gun in hand and eyes shut, visualizing those last 10 shots on the pad. Also notice that in the last 25, I didn't sweat or feel as uncomfortable, even though it was bloody hot. <laughs> Nothing like that first 25. Went undercover, rehydrated, and although excited, tried to remain low-key for drive home. So um, the uh, interesting to note that his physiological response was different in that second 25 than the first 25. So now let's get to the question that he had.
switch my camera. Um, so his question was, what would you put down to be behind such a marked change between the first training block and the second training block outcomes in the scenario presented? I can only assume the strategies employed appealed and aligned to the brain's learning capacity and I was able to overwrite an existing habit or execution mode very quickly and positively by being receptive and possibly from having done quite a bit of Don Grant's audios prior with a key, a key one of hers being hypnosis for change. So I don't know some of the stuff that Don Grant talks about, um, but yes, basically if you put together all the stuff that I was talking about where for that second 25, you seem to have been more consciously focused on the eyes, but you were still, not 100% though, but you were still uh, getting the feedback that you were looking for and um, doing in the first 25. And so it actually looks to me that in that in those first 25 shots, you were actually successful enough in being consciously aware of the body that you were able to kind of like non-consciously cue what you wanted to do proprioceptively um, and just gave yourself a little bit better visual feedback to allow the body to synchronize with that. Um, if we go, I'm just going to read the one part that I said I wanted to talk about um, with the eyes. So uh, basically what was going on, where is it? Okay, so I'm going to read uh, this part. It says, in sitting in that 15-minute break, I decided that I have a move going on that appears okay externally and feels smooth internally, but the picture isn't matching the move. There's some kind of timing action between my move and visual input. So I said that timing thing is really, really important. The reason why it's really, really cool that he noticed that was because in an effort to pay all of his conscious attention towards that proprioceptive feedback in his body, it did not allow him to have conscious attention to his vision. And um, if you notice what he changed for the second 25 in terms of where he started his eyes and the fact that he specifically said that he had peripheral awareness of the shoot, i.e. the hole in the high house, um, that means that he's, he's drawing conscious attention to a specific part of his vision outside of center ocular. In order to do, like it's very easy to pay attention to the thing that's in the middle of your vision, which is called center ocular. It's very easy to pay attention to that. It is not very easy to look at something and pay attention to something out here. And so that requires a good amount of conscious attention to the vision, which is going to track a little bit of the conscious attention from the body. But it looks like from what happened there that there was enough basically uh, imprinting of that of those of that circuitry neurologically to control what you were trying to do that you were able to dedicate a portion of your attention to your vision and it was able to happen non-consciously physically in terms of your movement um, and so in that first 25 when we're paying attention all to the body because we're not paying attention to the eyes reaction time 
off of your vision is hugely and negatively influenced. So basically what was happening was you were feeling a good move and you were making the correct move. It smelt, it smelt, it felt uh, controlled and uh, fluid, but it was all happening at the wrong time in relation to the bird. When you put more attention towards your vision and paying attention to where the bird was coming out, it cued the start of the move that you had been working on to happen at the first visual stimuli that happened, which was the bird coming out in your peripheral. And so that movement happened more in time with the bird, which is actually kind of the definition of that proprioceptive movement. So um, it's very cool that that happened. I think a, a huge comp proponent of that was the fact that you took the break you know, rehearsed everything visually in your head, went through, ran some post-shot analysis, and then made some change based off of the feedback that you got. Very cool experience. Um, and uh, I wanted to bring that, I wanted to use this example as something that, um, you know, is possible to experience in practice if you do this type of stuff. But it was. it's very important that you do what he did uh, which is, you know, resist the urge to flip what you're focusing on um, and don't follow those frustrating emotions of, man, I haven't hit anything in 12 targets. I really want to just try to hit this bird because the fact that he stayed consciously attentive to that one thing on that one target 25 times in a row, possibly more with the, the um, you know, taking the shells out and doing it, um, it just that just really really brought up some very very valuable information that seemed to have imprinted quickly uh awesome awesome like super awesome um okay so let's see there are a huge amount of big questions in the chat so uh, I'm going to answer three of them, um, three questions that I got uh, in an email as you guys um, go through and possibly ask for clarification on anything um, or give a question that you want me to cover. Uh, in the chat and uh, and then after I answer those three then I'll go through and answer all of them in the chat so I'm gonna change this little thing Okay, so this is from uh, Austin. Uh, this first question is, I've been having problems with leading birds such as shondells and different angled crossers. Would you recommend just going to the course, finding the difficult shots and grinding them out? Um, basically, what I would, my advice to you on that would be, yes, you do want to go through a huge amount of reps quickly on birds like that. Um, if, if there's a specific target that you're struggling with, Going and just grinding out that target is really good, both for the fact that you gain confidence and experience on it, 
but also so that you can learn. But the thing that I would advise you on is that if you do go to the course and you're grinding out those targets, don't be grinding out those targets with fo conscious focus on what the lead and sight picture looks like. Um, what I would want you to pay attention to is feeling in your body if there's a moment in time on those shots that you feel a disconnect in the harmony between your movement and the target's movement. And then over t from shot to shot to shot, paying attention to only that, trying to make modifications, all focusing towards the goal of making that shot feel harmonic from start to finish. Um, and basically what you're going to be doing is you'll be making, you're, you'll be picking something to change and execute in the next shot. And there's a high probability that that thing won't change the result. Um, but because you'll be focusing on how it feels through the process of doing that, you're going to learn a lot about what works and what doesn't. Um, the uh, next question is, would it be worth finding a coach to grow with me instead of an instructor to take lessons from a couple of times per year? Uh, I, I mean, everybody would probably be able to assume my answer to that question, which would be, you know, that yes, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of coaching as opposed to instruction, but it's also important to note that the person that like, for example, I am an instructor to some of my students and I'm a coach to some of my students and it's all dependent on the student. Um, you know, like the, uh, how you want to take lessons and how you approach taking lessons and how you communicate to the person that you take lessons from will influence that. One of the things that I always try to do in the beginning of a lesson is I ask my student, you know, okay, so what's your lowest hanging fruit right now? And what is it that if you could leave the lesson today, uh, if I could only accomplish one thing with you, what would that one thing be for you to feel like this was completely worth your time? Um, and the, uh, so I listen to their response to that and I incorporate that into the lesson. But if that's the only thing that the lesson is about, um, that is more of instruction because you're taking a problem and you're correcting the problem. And then the next time you have a problem, you book a lesson and hopefully correct that problem with that person. And that would be instruction. But what I try to do um, is take that, incorporate it in the lesson, but also take the whole overarching picture of the student from all of the lessons that I've had with that person and critically and analytically think, okay, this is the whole package that we have right now. Where, what's the next step in building them towards what I know through communication and conversation with them that they are trying to get to as an end result of how they approach shooting as a sport, a hobby, or a career. So coaching, in my opinion, is building somebody up over time. And instruction is correcting mistakes and, and uh, like tuning up. So, um, you know, not everybody has the ability to, number one, communicate with you 
to understand what your end goal is and what you want to take out of shooting and then take that communication and information that was given in that communication and put together a path forward over a certain amount of time and then actually execute that with you as a coach. Um, so you have to find somebody that can do that and that has enough experience in teaching people to get to whatever level that they want to understand the path that you need to take because an, an instructor gives you the answers as soon as you ask for them but a coach is going to give you answers and give you certain specific skill sets or um abilities in a very specifically determined timetable because you don't want to just throw everything at somebody at once you you need to based off of what their goals are in shooting step by step give them the stuff to work on that builds their game from the foundation up over time so with that being said to find a coach also requires a commitment for you to listen to the advice that that coach says on how often that they think that you should have lessons um, and and what the path forward would look like for you. So I always recommend that type of approach to learning if you want it, but not everybody wants it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I have some people that, that shoot two or three times a year and take a lesson once a year and, uh, you know, they just want to learn to fix problems and they would be less happy if I coached them. So I have to give them instruction. Um, so good question. And then the last question I have here is that what is something that the shooting industry needs to help grow? My biggest answer to that is that the shooting industry needs content that is engaging, educational, interesting, and uh, that promotes the fun and enjoyment of this game that you can get if you participate in it. Um, it needs something like being able to go to the Golf Channel on TV and watch a tournament. Um, and I think that that is never going to happen from a corporate standpoint first. It's going to happen from an individual standpoint first. There's been a lot of attempts at professional organizations and TV shows and stuff like that, and they never work because the audience is not there yet. And um, so what has to happen is certain people need to build that. Um, and over time, you know, basically, a long, long story short, a great example of this is look at what happened to professional disc golf. And uh, look at a YouTube channel called, I think it's called um, Slow Mez or something like that. Um, where basically the top pros in the game uh, started filming all of the disc golf tournaments and then taking the, the footage and the Monday after the event, adding commentary to it and then posting it on YouTube that night so that if you weren't there and you like disc golf, 
You can watch it as if it was live on TV with commentary by the best guys in the game talking about the shots or talking about other people's shots. And you can experience the event as if you were there. Over time, that built up to be big enough to develop a following in that sport that ended up on ESPN. That's a great approach. Um, okay, so now questions from chat. Let's see what we got. Um, I'm going to close this poll so that I can see the comments better. Okay, so here's one from Sophie. It says, David, do you suggest focusing on mechanics or the mental game first? Think trying to do both would be overwhelming. Hence, I haven't done my plan yet. Um, yeah, not a problem. So that's a great question. Uh, I would say, I'm gonna summarize it. I'm gonna summarize my answer to your question like this. Um, maybe about three months ago, I was, on having a phone call with Wendell Cherry, who, if any of you don't know who he is, he is another professional shooter, one of the best in the world, one of the best coaches in the world. He's the guy that taught me how to shoot. And uh, we were both talking just randomly about a ra bunch of different topics, but then eventually it led to the topic of coaching. And we started talking about how we approach lessons and uh the topic that came up w was how we coach and the wendell said and i 100 percent agree with him he made the comment of if for every person that we coach that we if, if with every person that we have a lesson with, that we started the lesson or gave instruction on the thing that we know to be the most important thing to start, we would not have a business anymore because nobody would come back. And I would completely agree with him. And so uh, it's basically something that... that we blend into the physical mechanics, but uh, I would actually say that the most important thing to focus on first are the visual mechanics. Learn how to use your eyes. And once you learn how to use your eyes correctly, at that point you can start to learn the physical mechanics and then at that, after that, you can start to learn the mental game. But the reality of it is that mental aspect is deeply ingrained in everything. Actually, in all honesty, those three things, the mental, the physical, and the visual, the, it's, like a, it's like a symbiotic relationship between the three of them. But the eyes, you can take either, you can take all of those three things and each one of them can independently be the dominant 
approach to the game and it can influence the other two but so like if you have a poor mental game that allow that is going to influence how you see and that's going to influence how you move if you have bad mechanics that's going to influence how you feel mental which is going to influence how you see but the thing that is the best way to go about it is build up your ability to use your eyes correctly because that's going to give you the right visual information that you need and the correct visual information is good visual information and good visual information is slow looking targets high levels of detail um, a perceived larger amount of time where the bird is in the air and all of those things influence your mental state during the round or your practice where it's more calming it uh, does not induce very much anxiety or make you feel rushed um, and and both of those things how you see it and how you're feeling while you're shooting will influence your ability to actually do what you have planned or want to do physically so basically what I'm saying is the best place to start is to learn how to see the target in as much detail and as slow as you do when you're outside of the cage or the box and don't have a gun in your hands and you're looking at the view pair if when you shoot you don't see the target as well as you do when you're just looking at the show pair and you're not using your hand both of your hands are down and nothing is in front of you and you're just looking at the targets if you don't see the targets that well and that slow when you shoot then work on seeing that's what I would say and that would apply to everybody um, let's see um Austin says, I've wrote down two pages of stuff and already helping me plan my practices so I get the most. Going to make a PDF tomorrow for Saturday practice will make blueprint fill in your own. I'll share. Oh, that's very cool. Um, I agree. I'm gonna, I actually am going to be, I'm going to try to build a form that does that. Just like a shoot analysis sheet type thing, but something for practicing. Um, okay, so Curtis, I think, has a question. No, no question. My moves smelt bad all through the prelim today. I think I might stick at sporting clays. <laughs> oh, the uh, Curtis, if you want to expound upon that a little bit, I can I can maybe you know unpack it some. Um, but let's see. So any other? Does anybody have any questions? Because if you don't have any questions yet, then I'm going to move on to the next topic. Uh, and that's going to get into some of the prepared information. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to leave it open for like a f 30 seconds, wait for any questions to come in, uh, and then um, answer those if we have any, or if we don't have any, I'll just get right into the next topics. And I will be right back keep this so I can pay attention.
Okay, bringing the gun over just in case we need it. Um, okay, so we do have a few questions. So it says, going back to my first question, would it be beneficial to practice five stand more for just leading? If I can do certain targets, I'm struggling on leading. Uh, Austin, are you talking about like you just don't know the... Whoa, my phone is talking to me. Um, Let's turn the volume off so we don't get feedback. Are you talking about that you um, are having problems knowing what the lead is to put on a bird uh, and you're wanting to find a practice so you can learn that? Uh, just, Just clarify that for me. And then uh, Joe says, if I only sign up for one one hour lesson with the coach, can I call him my coach or would he be an instructor asking for a friend? Um, only up for one one hour. Well, I would say for someone to be coaching you, that that requires you can't coach somebody in one session because coaching is building somebody up over time, um, and it you know like. In, in in one lesson you can only instruct somebody because you coaching requires influencing what somebody is doing and influencing how someone is thinking uh, and their approach to the game not just their mechanics and then having them leave and work on what you left them with get better at it and get to the point where they need the next thing and then they come back and over time you build that person into what they want to basically have as who they are as a final product as a competitor um but so it's not possible really to coach somebody in a lesson um the uh trevor says what would you suggest a guy who can hit every target out there but can't consistently do it in a competition work on in practice? That's a good question. Um, Trevor, can you w- tell me in practice what you're if you try to do a practice session based on like uh breaking a certain amount in a row let's say like if you were to do a practice if you ever have i would imagine that you have where you like go to a station like all right i want to shoot 20 pairs in a row do you ever work on practice uh routines where you're trying to build consistency in the result of the shot um and if you do let me know if you're able to do it in practice and just not competition or if you can't do it in practice either And Austin says, yes, how much lead? Okay, so um, uh, uh, that's going to be a hard one to answer. Um, Basically, my approach to that would be that if you're trying to, in practice, learn lead, then your, your conscious, what you're deciding... What you're assigning your conscious attention to is the wrong thing because I can, let's say a bird requires five feet of lead in front and two feet of lead below to break the bird. I can put the gun there infinite 
I, I can get the gun in that position and pull the trigger with infinite different forms of movement. And all but one of them will be good. So if we're focusing on learning lead, then quite possibly you're teaching your brain to move inefficiently and incorrectly. And we don't want to do that. What we want to do is teach the brain to move correctly. And over time, if you teach that, if you practice that, then it will start to basically give you the results of a broken target without you focusing on the lead. And the way that you do that is to um, actually do what those guys, what those first two examples did that I brought up, where they're very heavily attentive to the way that their body feels in the shot, and they're searching for that harmony and, and proprioceptive synchronization in their body and the, and the target. Um, and that's what they're looking like. That's what they're allowing themselves to care about. And that's what they're grading, whether or not it was good or bad over time. If you continue to do that, then, uh, and, and let's say you're experiencing that and not breaking the bird. The only thing that's happening is you're doing the movement correctly. You're just not synchronizing it with the target. And once that movement gets to be more non-conscious, then you can, attach more conscious attention to the target and that movement will happen non-consciously while you're looking at the target and it'll be synchronized and you'll break the target. A perfect example was uh, the second practice routine that I, I talked about. Um, and I know that that's frustrating to try to do and it's kind of counterintuitive to think, how am I supposed to not pay attention to lead or why would I not want to? But it's because of what I just said. We can put the gun in the right place in the wrong way very easily. And we don't want to be practicing that because you're actually doing more harm than good in terms of being able to uh, realize your full potential in the game because you'll be, you'll be teaching yourself bad forms of movement that over time will have to be unlearned as opposed to initially learning the correct form of movement. Um, Oh, Gala's here. Cool. Hey, Gala. So Gala says, I have to focus so hard. My eyes are bad. Some shots, I feel my body movement. Usually I have hit that target. Shots where I remember what I saw last, I have missed those. Is that why there's in inconsistency? Uh, shots where I remember what I saw last. Yes, absolutely. So um, if you're remembering what you saw last, then that means that your attention was put more towards the result of the shot. So if, if you go back and listen to the last recorded episode that I released on, you know, how to optimize practice through, you know, actual neurology, one of the uh, areas of focus that I had in that podcast was assigning your conscious attention attention to something. And if we are focusing on the bird and the result of the shot, then um, you won't feel your body and the gun will be placed a lot of times in the wrong place or you'll get bad visual information because you're consciously paying attention to the wrong thing in your vision, which is not allowing your eyes to engage in that smooth pursuit style of movement. It's basically the example of you know putting your finger in front of you 
and focusing on your finger and you can allow your eyes to move smoothly using that smooth pursuit because your conscious attention is on the finger. The finger in the correct example would be your the target. We want the, we want the conscious attention of our eyes and our vision on the target so that our eyes do that. Now, in a, this new example, let's pretend now that the finger is the gun. Or let's pretend, pretend that uh, the finger is the target still. And I want you to pay attention to, you're seeing the target peripherally, but look off in front of it with your attention of your vision and try to move your eyes smoothly without looking at that finger move and move your eyes in sync with your finger and you can't do it. Um, that would be the equivalent of looking at and paying attention to the gap or the gun where the target is more peripheral and it doesn't allow us to engage that style of vision and so then that proprioceptive feedback that's required, especially for you, Gayla, because of the eye dominancy, um, is it's just going to be no proprioceptive feedback. It's going to force you to place the gun consciously. And like what we said in the last lesson on that one station in the corner of the white course, um, how, how we said, you know, I drew the little diagram of, you know, because of your eye dominancy, if you consciously see the gun, the place that you will see it to be is not really where it is. And so if you're consciously paying attention to it, that means you're consciously going to put it in a place that makes sense. And if you put it in a place that makes sense for you, then it's a guaranteed miss because that means it's not where it actually is based off of your eye dominancy. So that's why you're seeing inconsistency. Hopefully that answer helps. Um, the, uh, Okay, so Duke says, not a question, but my wife showed me your video of you doing <laughs> the Tyler Childers knows the grind stunt. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Duke. I appreciate that. Yeah, I like to, in my free time, when I get some, uh, I love to play and sing some songs on the guitar. If any of you guys ever interested in that, go to my, uh, you can go to my Instagram channel and watch some. So Curtis says, I tried to use my two selves with uh, varying success in round, but as the round drew on, I got confused as to which state to be in and things sort of cas cascaded to varying states of discomfort in my own skin. Cool, uh, I mean, unfortunate, but good information and feedback. Basically, uh, what you wanna do, Curtis, is make sure that you do some notes or voice memo and, and basically structure it like this. Pull, pull a picture of your scorecard up and say, you know, I started on this station, I was feeling like XYZ in terms of my focus and ability to focus, and I decided to respond to that with XYZ, and my results were this. When I went and I got to, you know, four stations in, I noticed that emotionally and focus-wise, I started to feel like XYZ, and so my plan was to change my approach to xyz and it resulted in this and just summarize how that round went and basically as time goes by you'll accumulate enough data that will show you what decisions to make at what times and emotional and focus states um, 
so that you can optimize those choices and avoid bad ones. But good. Um, Trevor says, I try working on breaking everything inside 30 10 times in a row. I usually get it within two tries. And typically I finish better in events with harder targets. It's frustrating when I can finish top 50 in a regional and even HOA some side events at Big Blast, but suck it up at local shoots. So Trevor, I know that you have ADHD um, and I am can uh, with 100% certainty tell you that that is not a product of your ability. That's a product of your ability to focus. Um, and because at the big tournaments you care more, so you have more, but you basically have more on the line that gives you uh, an ability to access a higher level of focus and presence in your mindset. And so you're able to actually put more attention in reading the birds and planning and having a good plan and being able to execute a good plan that aligns with what the presentation is. You can look up this thing just Google search uh, ADHD um, and then space and then NICU scoring system. So it's the NICU scoring system. It stands for um, new, interesting, challenging, or urgent. And basically, whatever you're doing, the higher it ranks in those four categories, the easier it will be for you to be able to focus and avoid procrastination basically and so uh, essentially what's happening is on harder targets it draws your attention more because it's interesting and challenging uh, and at bigger tournaments it does the exact same thing and that's a, a that's a hard thing to learn to manage but I I'll talk to you whoa I just kicked my camera I'll talk to you personally on some ways to to deal with that because uh, it's complicated and takes a long time uh, to explain and go through. And I want to make sure that I do it justice. Um, the Austin, <laughs> feel like you should give me money. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Sophie says, is there such a thing as having slow reaction from the eye to the trigger? I find I see the bird and move, but hold off a long time on making the shot. Yeah, basically what's happening is that... Um, that's essentially holding on to the shot to wait for conscious and visual verification that what you've done is correct. So basically, the first portion, whatever percentage it is that you feel like you're moving with the bird, is done more proprioceptively. But at the moment that you get to the point where you know you should pull the trigger, you are either afraid to because you don't know yet if it's in the right place, the gun, or you want to make sure that the gun is in the right place in some way, whether that be because you're checking the lead or you're just having hesitation and pulling the trigger. But anything, anyways, that is uh, altogether that's an emotional, uh, mental game type issue, and and uh, the way that you can combat that is basically you can do some practice drills uh, to to work on that, to where basically you're you are pulling the trigger at the, the culmination of the execution of the planned mechanics that you have and you know force force yourself to pull the trigger at a specific time and completion of whatever move you're trying to make and uh, and build it into uh, high levels of reps 
Um, and eventually over time in that practice, you will see the break percentage start to go up and just that in itself will build confidence. So the ways that you can, other ways you can combat that are, it's, it's essentially a confidence based issue or a, a value placement issue. And you can, you can reteach yourself to be able to not do that by either one, putting a lot of research into your planning to where you get to the point where you have a very good plan. And when you go to call pull, you know with 100% certainty that that is the best possible thing that you know how to do. And that will relieve some of the stress and anxiety of not wanting to pull the trigger at the end of the uh, at the end of those mechanics, because basically you'll you'll be able to logically deduce that you know the uh, if you allow the mechanics to happen and you commit to them, that's the best shot that you have at breaking it. It doesn't ensure a break, but it's the best shot that you have of breaking it, and. Uh, because we know that if we get conscious in the shot, it decreases our ability to hit because it's conscious and we can't proprioceptively connect. We don't get good visual information. And consciously, you can only compute one thing at a time. There's a, there's a little thing that I do with students sometime in a lesson where I give them the option. Let's see if I can see both my hands. I give them the option of picking. They can pick one of these hands. And they can have whatever is in the hand. And so I say, which one of these hands will you pick? Do you want what's in this one or do you want what's in this one? And, you know, they look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And all I say is the, uh, you know, if would you would you pick the one that is completely open that you see is not has nothing in it? Or would you pick the one that's closed and you don't know what's in it, but you do know that it can't be worse than what's in the other hand that's open. It's not going to be a negative thing. It's not going to hurt you. It can only be good or nothing. Which hand would you pick? Obviously, any sane, rational person would pick the one that's the closed hand. It's the unknown. We don't know what it is. Well, we can relate that to shooting by saying that if you choose to hold on to the shot, you're picking the open hand because we know that that's going to net in a worse result over time and over a high amount of attempts at doing that. We know that it's worse, but we also know that it's something. It's not an unknown because we get to see what it is. We get to see the shot happen. We know what where it is and we feel comfortable in that. So we 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 don't uh, allow ourselves to be free and pull the trigger without having awareness of the gun um, because that's scary. That closed hand is scary because we don't know, but it can't be worse than nothing. So you might as well pull the trigger during the unknown and before you can consciously verify that what you're doing is correct because we know that that's better and we know it's not going to result in worse than a miss so that's how i logically deduce that um uh 
yeah, Nate says, in my experience, even without eye dominance issues, seeing the gun is a bad thing, 100%. Um, Amanda loved it. Yeah, Tyler is an awesome artist. Got some great songs. Really cool, unique voice and uh, plays guitar really well. Uh, okay, cool. Um, Schrodinger's hand. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Man, I'm sorry, guys. I, my... Like I'm, my head is so far ahead of my words right now for this whole podcast. I don't know why, and so I'm having a hard time communicating things fluently. Um, it's just the ADHD acting up, but I apologize. So thank you guys for sticking with me on it. 